this heavyweight championship belt. Sting needs to bring that belt home to WCW. Sting down. Big leg drop. One, two, three. Red Hart has come out and taken. Red Hart is there. Red Hart's at ringside. I'll tell you what. Nick Patrick made the three count, and Bret Hart certainly doesn't seem to agree. No, he doesn't. He's got Hogan. Well, Bret Hart is here tonight as a referee. Is that right? Is that correct? Is he a referee? Signed as an official. Yes, right here. You got it. He's signaling for a restart. Ring the bell. Yeah. Into the corner. Hook him up right there, guys. Hogan trying to stop him, hooking onto the top rope. Members of the NWO have arrived. Buff Bagwell. Sting nails him. Down goes Norton. They're clearing the ring now. Here Red Hart. Again. Finger flash out to the top. Can he put it on him? Can he put it on him, guys? Here it comes. Sting. He's going to bring back the Scorpion Death Rock. Pointing at Bret Hart. Trying to get him over. Can he get him turned? There it is. Cut down on him. Check it out, Hogan. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to December of 1997 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Six volumes for you this month, quite when we'll get the, the last one out, I don't know. Uh, but Volume number 2 takes the WWF, looking at In Your House, these Generation X. Volume number 3 takes the ECW, looking at all the action in ECW. It's, it, December is generally a, a quiet month in Philadelphia. Volume number 4 takes the USC in their latest show from Japan. Volume number 5 is our end-of-year review show, and Volume number 6 is the all-important end-of-year awards. I'm being joined today to look at WCW and Star K by Jeff Parker. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Jeff. Or well, I have at the start. Quite well, will be by the end of this show. I don't know. And a, uh, a greeting, <laughs> season's greetings, uh, greeting to Rory McNamara. Compliments of the season to you all. Yes, something like that. Rory kicks off with the news. I shall indeed. In his first match for 18 months, Sting became the world heavyweight champion. In the main event of Starcade on the 28th of December, he clearly and convincingly defeated Hulk Hogan for the strap. Or at least, that's what should have happened. In reality, Hogan actually pinned Sting after the big boot and leg drop in the middle of the ring, following ten minutes of poor quality action. Bret Hart restarted the match after a supposed fast count by referee Nick Patrick, which really wasn't that quick at all, and then Sting saw off an NWO attack to put Hollywood in the Scorpion deathlock, allowing Hart to call the victory. It should be noted that Hogan did not appear to actually submit or tap out in the hold. After the match, all the babyfaces hit the ring for Sting's version of the WrestleMania 10 celebration, 
but it is probably fair to say this was too little too late. The beginning of Sting's reign continued in an inauspicious manner when he and Hogan actually had a rematch at the final Nitro of the year the next day. Whilst the contest itself was slightly better than at Starcade, the show went off the air mid-match after, you guessed it, a ref bump. At time of recording, it is not clear whether he is even still the champion. The main event of Starcade capped a generally poor quality pay-per-view in which, for the first two hours of the show, the heels were consistently, constantly booked to go over, all but killing the crowd before the big matches. One match where the babyface did win was Larry Zabisco defeating Eric Bischoff in order to secure the continued existence of WCW Monday Nitro. The contest was refereed by Bret Hart and ended in confusing fashion when a steel plate that Bischoff planned to use actually flew out of his shoe before he could get a chance to kick Larry with it. After putting the interfering Scott Hall in the sharpshooter, Hart then awarded the match to Zabisco by virtue of disqualification. Elsewhere on the show, Diamond Dallas Page defeated Kurt Hennig for the U.S. title in the only other babyface victory on the show. On the rest of the event, there were wins from Eddie Guerrero, the team of Scott Norton, Vincent, and Randy Savage, also known as which one of these is not like the other, Uh, (laughs) Bill Goldberg, Saturn, and Buff Bagwell also won their matches. Bret Hart made his debut for WCW on the 15th of December edition, and in rather curious circumstances. Apart from accepting the offer to be the referee for the match mentioned earlier, his welcome promo was noticeably both short and vague. It seemed more concerned with ensuring that he was cheered by fans of the Nature Boy in Ric Flair country than anything else. It also seems all his issues and problems with the USA have fallen by the wayside during his move south, and as proved at Starcade, he will be a babyface going forward. At time of recording, it does appear as though his first match for the promotion will indeed be against Flair, probably at the sold-out pay-per-view in January. There are as yet no concrete plans to deliver on the dream match between Hart and Hogan, although it is tentatively reported that that could happen in the summer. The start of the second hour of Nitro on December 22nd was entirely given over to a bizarre segment in which the lesser lights of the NWO stormed the commentary booth and then proceeded to coerce WCW staff to change the entire show to be NWO Nitro. This involved completely destroying the familiar Nitro set and putting up new banners and other displays. The NWO were even able to use their own equivalent of in-house graphics for the remainder of the broadcast. We also supposedly saw a new member of the NWO on this day when Bobby the Brain Heenan sucked up to Eric Bischoff and Rick Rude on commentary, and they eventually let him join. Despite being pro-New World Order for the entire program, Bobby switched his allegiances back to WCW the next week. NWO Nitro could be seen as a dry run for the new two-hour show on TNT, which will be aired on, Tuesday, on Thursdays on TBS for Jan- from January 8th. Plans for Nitro itself to be the NWO show have been completely shelved, although it is still possible the forthcoming programming, which should be called Thunder, could be the main vehicle for the heel faction. It is also noted that Davey Boy Smith will make an appearance on the inaugural episode, having bought out his WWF contract to the tune of $150,000. 
However, his ongoing recovery from knee surgery means that he won't be competing in the ring for a few weeks. And, although he has no problem bringing in as much talent as he can, Eric Bischoff is making great attempts to differentiate his product from Titan. Backstage on the 22nd, he told talent that there would be no low blows, swearing, or any lewd content on WCW television. And as always, no low blows, lewd words, or swearing, or lewd content until someone does it that we can't punish. Which is kind of always the way, right? Can't swear on TV until Hogan does it, in which case we can't know anything about it. Um, a reminder that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access to our shows, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS links on our website and in the podcast description. On to the ratings for the month. Uh, you're pretty good for Nitro, although with, uh, with one quite important exception. Although Nitro is, is kind of bobbing between two and three hours, so it's difficult to even draw any consistent pattern here. On the 1st of December, Nitro is a 3.8, rules 3.0. On December the 8th, Nitro is a 4.0. 1 to Rules 2.7. That was the same again on the 15th, 4.1 to 2.7. On the 22nd, Nitro did a 3.5 to Rules 3.1, although those we'll look at in a bit. Uh, the key part of that was the rating after the NWO takeover, which uh, went south quite quickly. Uh, and on December the 29th, Nitro did a 4.65 rating to Rules 3.6. We open up in Knoxville, Tennessee for December with Gene interviewing Bischoff. As big Larry chants go up, Eric says that he never actually agreed to wrestle anybody, especially that fat loser. If you're going to buy Starcade to see me in the ring with him, save your money. Bischoff then seems to reconsider and says he will wrestle, but only if Larry puts Nitro itself on the line. Our first match is a slightly more appetising prospect of Ray against Hooventud. Tony calls in Enziguri a short drop kick. I think you'll learn that by now. Ray kicks out of a Minchinoku driver and goes on to win with a springboard Rana. Raff and Hugh Morris are up next. Both Mortis and Vanderberg screw up interference and no laughing matter secures the three count. Hogan and Bischoff are out for the usual public ego stroke. Sting fans are in denial. If he had any guts, he would show up here tonight. Unless the fans in attendance take off their Sting masks, I'm going to hurt somebody real bad. Hogan actually squares up to somebody's ground in the audience, so he rightly threatens to slap him, but Bischoff sadly prevents it. Eugene Agat against Prince IOK is virtually ignored by the announced team because Hogan vs Sting just hadn't been promoted enough yet. The Prince gets a surprise victory with a top rope crossbody. Harlem Heat and Face of Fear have a tough old scrap. Booker pins Barbarian with a victory roll, but afterwards the Fear get their heat back in the usual manner. It's survey time with Hall. The largely positive response means that it's one more town for the bad guy. Nash then takes the mic and he calls WCW Lee Harvey Oswald to the NWO's Jack Ruby. Fortunately, we don't find out who JFK is as Hall defeats Disco Inferno after the outside edge. Gene is here with Dylan. While Larry indeed doesn't have the authority to put Nitro on the line against Bischoff, JJ himself can, and he just has. The match itself will take place at Starcade. Bischoff storms out to whinge, but all he gets is JJ hoping that Larry makes him look like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Ultra Dragon and Psychosis have a pared down version of their best work as Dragon wins with the sleeper. Raven might assign a piece of paper to face Benoit, but he isn't going to want anything that isn't under his rules. Instead, he sends Kidman out to battle. The match, including Kidman hitting a shooting star press off of the apron, is very good. The Wolverine wins it with the crossface as all of Raven's disciples destroy him afterwards. 
Luger vs Bagwell is up now and most of it was one big poserthon. Lex throws Vince into the ring and that somehow means the total package wins by DQ. After an NWO announcement telling him to get the message, DDP made events against Henning for the US title. Page hits the cutter but here comes Rude to pull the referee out. DDP sees off the NWO B team until Savage appears and nails him with the belt. Hogan then casually shorts the ring and he places the Sting mask on Page. He gets the cutter onto the world title. Hogan, Stinger, you shall be stung for life. We kick things off in Buffalo, New York with Conan against plain old Ray Trailer. The lights go out and when they come back on, Conan is cut out cold on the map. Ray takes advantage with a foot on the chest pin. Mongo beats Barbarian with a scarily unsafe tombstone. Michael tries to sock Jimmy Hart afterwards, but Meng and his tongue and death grip have something to say about that. Our first interview segment sees Gene having a chat with uh, Disco Inferno. Disco rightly calls his match against Jacqueline a no-win situation. He's fed up with people talking behind his back. You have a problem with me? Tell it to my face. Buff then invites himself out for a yarn with Oakland. He issues a challenge to Luger. He can't be because can't beat me because I am Buff and I'm in Buffalo. Malenko takes on the Prince and his winning streak. Texas Cloverleaf puts an end to it. The Nitro girls do their thing in front of the commentators. Heedon says, you'll never hear me complain about the working conditions here. We get an NWO paid for announcement. It's Kevin Nash calling himself the true giant of professional wrestling. He wants a match with the giant at Starcade and finishes with an amusing giant impression. Giant himself is out to talk to Gene. Giant agrees with Nash that he is one-dimensional, but one dimension is all he needs. He recalls when the outsiders hit him with a bat, he put him in his bat, and he wants revenge. The giant and the chokeslam accept the match. Benoit is scheduled to wrestle Raven, but again he doesn't show up. Instead it's the newest flop member, Lodi. Benoit makes light work of him and wins with the crossface. He takes the mic afterwards and calls out Raven's egotistical wannabe rear end to no reply. Second hour gets going with Gene and Flair. Rick wants Rick was at the first Starcade in a cage match and this year he wants on with Henning. Gene then stirs it up by mentioning Brett by name. Rick calls him Mr. Canada and says Hart has made a mistake by doubling himself the greatest of all time. The real best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be is the nature boy. Savage is long with Hugh Morris. Macho tries to make it interesting by getting involved with Buffalo Bill Jim Caddy at ringside. He pulls up Morris after two flying elbows and the lights go out again. They come back out and Savage is out with a sting mask on his face. Bischoff and Rick Rude storm the commentary area. Rick calls Mike, Tony and Bobby the three monkeys. He accuses them of knowing why the lights went out and if it happens again, the NWO will take them out. He then forces them into see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil positions. We take a break as Tony fears for his life. We come back to Disco and Saturn for the TV title. Disco wins with the belt, clean as a whistle, after a chart buster. He makes a break for it as the flock hit the ring. They seem lost without Raven. Buff against Luger is up now. Lex calls for the rack, but Bagwell scarpers. Vincent Norton cut Lex off, and Buff, nip, Buff nips back in the ring for the count-out win. After another very positive fan survey, Hall is in action against DDP. Both guys put in a strong showing here until the obvious NWO interference. 
For the second week in a row, Paige gets destroyed. Another Sting dummy comes down from the rafters and crashes through the ring. Hogan takes the mic and suggests that his arms and mystique have scared Sting off. Hogan's biggest concern now is February when he has to face her. I think he means Hall. The dummy, of course, reveals himself to actually be Sting and then he beats up the entire NWO, including a death drop for Hall. Hogan looks on with trepidation. I would be scared to death. Doesn't look too concerned, does he? I'm surprised that he's here. I've never seen anybody milk an intro like this guy. Took five minutes to get him here. Easy. Easy. I'm not a violent person. Mr. Bischoff, of course, we have just seen a complete synopsis of what took place last week on this television program. And I'm very curious, have you... Have you thought it over, and have you reconsidered what you've said? First of all, Gene, there's really nothing to reconsider. I'm very confident in my position. Listen to this. Please. A lot of people want to see this match. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, there is not a single piece of paper in the WCW offices with my name on it that says I agree to wrestle anybody. We just saw it. Especially that fat loser. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, well, we just saw the replay from last week. You said yes. I said right there, right then. Didn't happen. It's over. It's history. I'm not a wrestler. Have you ever heard me come out here and say I could wrestle? Well, uh, not really, no. However, I have, I've heard some rumbling. Point is, you can hear all the rumblings you want, probably coming from his gut, because he hasn't had a pizza in a while. But the bottom line is, I never signed anything that said I would wrestle. I am not going to wrestle. If you were going to buy Starcade to see me get in the ring with him, do yourself a favor, save your money, because it is not going to happen. Now, wait a minute. Uh, we had a national television audience that heard you say yes, but you're saying it was just for a match last week and not for Starcade. I'll tell you what. The only way that I would wrestle Zabisco is if he would put up Nitro. WCW owes the NWO a show of its own. If Larry Zabisco would make the commitment and put Nitro on the line, I'd get in the ring with him, and I'd beat him. But you know what? Larry Zabisco can't do that. Simple as that. And open and shut case, you're not going to wrestle Larry Zabisco at Starcade. He doesn't have the authority to put Nitro up. Very good. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Charlotte, North Carolina is our home for another three-hour show. We open up with the whole NWO in the ring. We check underneath it to ensure Sting isn't lurking. Henning tells us that after Star K-Flair will be retired, that one goes down well with the crowd. Hogan gets on the mic and he still thinks that Sting is a coward and he's going to search the entire building for him tonight. Here's Ray Trader against Vincent. Well, you've got to fill three hours somehow. The Trader trash slam is good enough for the win. Disco defends his TV title against Nagata, fights off Ono and gets a three count with the chart buster. Malenko and Fit Finley have a very stiff outing. Dean gets distracted by the interfering Eddie and Fit picks up the victory after a tombstone. 
Rain Who and Two team up to face for Parker and Psychosis. Non-stop action all the way here until Hoovy hits the 450 on Psychosis. Gene introduces a be-suited and emotional Arn Anderson. He says that Henning might have to start the fight with Flair, but he couldn't finish it. Arn then brings out the nature boy. Rick honours the local police force and presents them with a cheque for $15,000. One of the police chiefs thanks the World Championship Wrestling for their donation, and Flair then gets down to business and calls out Henning for tonight. Our number two and JJ tries to talk to Oakland but Bischoff interrupts immediately. A great camera shot shows Larry from the booth looking over Eric's shoulder. Bischoff will get in the ring at Starcade but only if Dylan agrees that the kicks, punches and knockouts count. JJ says yes but submissions are also now valid. Those terms are accepted by Bischoff and Larry has no problem with any of them. Hall takes his survey again, but Charlotte did come here to see WCW. Tonight he's matched up with Chris Jericho and he wins with the outside edge. Mania is due to face Mongo, but the Chicago Bear doesn't emerge. It transpires that Goldberg laid him out backstage. Dylan sends Bill out to wrestle, but Mongo comes out and attacks Goldberg from behind. Officials separate them and there's no match. Conan and Scott Norton take on Steiners. Vince hops in for the quick DQ. Ray Trailer comes down to help Rick and Scott and then the NWO take off. Another curious context ne- uh, contest next as Booker T is up against Randy Savage. A fan tries to get involved but security quickly deal with him and Savage wins with the flying elbow. Hour number three and we're actually going to get to see Raven and Bish- uh, Benoit tonight. No we're not. Riggs is the sacrificial lamb after the crossface Benoit gets the mic. You want to be non-conformist, you're looking at it. He then launches himself at the flock, but they're soon overpowering and beat him down. Bischoff is back out to accost J.J. Dillon. Now he wants to know where the re- who the referee will be. Dillon suggests Randy Anderson, but Eric doesn't want a fat guy, so he puts forward Eric Kevin Nash. A lot of the referees are quite fat, actually. Or six, or Conan. J.J. meets him halfway by saying the ref can be one of, quote, Eric's guys, but he gets to pick which one. Just so happens that Dylan already knows who it will be, and here it comes. Some guy by the name of Bret Hart. Bischoff seems very pleased with this. Bret's opening words in WCW are, It took a long time to get here. It's great to be here in Ric Flair country. Bret will be honoured to be referee in this match, but he says to Eric, Don't look to me for any help, because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to be screwed by a referee. You're on your own, Jack. Eric mentions Hart's contract perks and then the segment just sort of ends. What a debut. Oakland is due to interview Luger but Buff is here instead. He says that he's the real total package. Lex takes exception to that and further tells Bagwell that the guys in the production truck could give them the match right now. Buff manages to escape with win by virtue of our old friend the over the top rope DQ. <coughs> Henny is out with the microphone. He turns somersaults to avoid calling himself perfect but does accept Flair's challenge. The match lasts about 10 seconds before Hall hits the ring followed by other NWO members. They do a number on Flair's leg until DDP, the Steiners and Luger come down to help and they see off the goon squad. DDP calls Henning back out. No fewer than three more fans try to get in the ring before the camera cuts away. DDP disappears through the crowd as the NWO are back out again. Hogan rambles on the mic until the lights go down. A spotlight shows Sting in the rafters. After they go out and come on again, he's on top of the Nitro set. He then walks to the ring and, of course, we just go off the air. The go-home show from Stark AM&H from Macon in Georgia. It's another bumper three-hour show. We're in with a jump cut black and white pro from Bischoff. 
after Sunday Nitro will finally belong to the NWO. Larry won't see Bischoff's size 10 boot, but he'll definitely feel it. You are not a legend in your own time or even in your own mind. You are a legend in your own fantasy. Larry beating you will be just too easy. Eric and Finley have a right old scrap until Guerrero walks away for the count out. The deafening Eddie sucks chance here to tell you all you need to know about how over it is a heel he is these days. A great video package airs for Giant and Nash. Giant narrates it himself without once raising his voice and he really should do that more often. We denied it last week but today Meng and Mongo takes place. Meng pulls him up for a two following a top rope splash. Both a wooden and steel chair eventually meet Meng's head but of course they have no effect. But Michael's tombstone on the other hand is good for the victory. DDP is here for a natter with Gene. Page is taking Flair's place against Henning at Starcade. Anybody who knows me knows me as Mr. Christmas. And that's a shoot. Oh, he really did like that one. Henning has a present which Page will take the US title. He has a gift for Kurt though and that's the noise. Henning, you're going to feel the bang. The Parker Psychosis and Silver King against Rey Mysterio, Hooven Tooth and Hector Garza is up next. This one gets a bit on the sloppy side with Hoovy in particular looking like he hit the Christmas sherry early. Ray gets the pin on King with the springboard Rana. But while still can't get his hands on Raven has to sell off for Van Hammer instead. The flock get involved with a DQ with Saturn locking the Crippler in the rings. Second hour starts with the NWO scrubs seeing off our commentary team. They also force the production crew to wear NWO Nitro shirts. They have to take down anything on the set which says WCW and replace it with NWO. This is supposed to be hostile but it just comes across as extremely boring. Buff kicks day pens are out the ring and spray paints those three letters on the canvas. So we're now supposedly watching NWO Monday Nitro complete with its own graphics, entrance uh, video and music. Bischoff calls out the coolest bunch of guys who ever walked the wrestling earth. Tonight is Hogan's night, so they're going to give him some Christmas gifts. The first is a shiny new Harley. The second, another one, because they, well, they fucked up the first time. They had to bring out the real one the second time. This one has his face on it, at least. The third is an open-top NWO limo, complete with hot tub and nitro girls. Touching that. We're back from the break with Bischoff, Nash and Rude in the booze. Rick Steiner and Scott Norton is up. Conan and Vince are in for the DQ, but Scott and Ray Trailer come down to seat them off. Henning and the guy who lost to the girl go next. The Henning Plex does for Disco. Heenan comes out for our number three to the commentary table to talk business. Bobby puts Bischoff over as the reason he left the WWF and calls him the Donald Trump of wrestling. He sucks up to the NWO and offers them his services. After talking with him for a while, Bischoff accepts and Heenan joins us on the headset. We're back in the ring with Harlem Heat versus Lodi and Riggs. Bischoff drags Danae in to commentate because he has empires to build. Booker pins Lodi with a sidekick. Bagwell takes on Jericho. Buff takes it with the blockbuster and then nails the referee afterwards. If you thought you'd seen the end of Hogan's Christmas presents, you were sadly mistaken. The NWR made Hogan, quote, a special ring in the shape of the World Heavyweight title. Ah, fuck, it's quite a good effort. Bischoff gets one uh, gets one on, on one knee to give it to him. We're still not done. We see a huge print of the front cover of Sports Illustrated from April 1985, followed by the one of Hogan as Thunderlips in Rocky Three. Heartwarming. We finally get to our main event in Savage against Luger. Lex takes out Randy Anderson with the loaded arm of death and Buff and Nash come down to attack Luger. They revive the ref and the flying elbow gets Savage the win. Hogan and Bischoff are here for the zillionth time. Hogan is used to beating main eventers and in Starcade Sting shall be stung. 
Asajan has another present, but Bischoff didn't give him this one. Turns out it's a mould of Hogan's severed head. As Brett is an expert in the field, he looks on. Sting winches his way to the ring, and of course we'll go off the air again, and we'll see you on Sunday. Me. Give me a suggestion. Six. Six. Hey, listen, he's got a bad neck. He can't hurt anybody. Oh, get lost. He's going to come right down the middle. I don't think he's physically up to the chore. Anyway, JJ, this is a, a test again for you. I think I've got it figured out where he's going. I'll tell you what. What if I pick somebody, one of your guys, and I'll agree to it. I'll agree to pick one of your guys to be the referee, but, but, but you let me pick which one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. You're going to pick an NWO guy? One of his guys. One of your guys. No, don't. What's, but I got to pick which one. No problem. Scott Norton, Conan, Buck, the stuff. You name it. You we have got it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is no problem the same as yes? You pick yes. Did he say yes? What, what, what's JJ doing here? Well, now that we've got that little thing out of the way. Ironed out. Would, would you like to meet who I've picked? Right now. Right now? Right now. Me, Gene, why don't we bring the man out that's going to referee this match? Okay. It's Matt. Oh! There he is! Ladies and gentlemen, there he is! The referee, Chris the Hitman Hart, has arrived to Nitro! Eric loves it. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. No doubt about it, he is here. One of the biggest moments in Nitro. One of the biggest stars in our sport. This is getting to be more like let's make a deal, and apparently this is... uh, That's my choice. Coaster with all parties concerned. Bret Hart, welcome to Nitro. Welcome to Nitro. Took a long time to get here. And it's great to be here. It's great to be in Ric Flair country. This is it. That's the magic. So if you're looking for a referee, is that what you want? Referee. I would be honored to be the referee for this match. Yo, Brett, man! 7.5 mil a year, Ted Turner's money. You, me, for life! Well, I don't know what's your association, just what we've seen in the past. Pretty happy. He is very happy. But... Do what you can. Win if you can. But don't look to me for any help. Whoa. 7.5 million a year and you get this? 
Because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to get screwed over by a referee. So you're on your own, Jack. You're on your own, Bischoff. I think he said Jack. Jack is good enough for me, too. Look at this guy's beside himself. Tony. He's going down. Whoa. Wait a a minute. There there may be some more book made here. As I said, he's having an aneurysm. To look more like, let's make a deal every day. Brad. 7.5 mil a year. Weekends off. Brett. So, on to some television. Now, we'll, we'll just drop in TV reviews as and when. I really cannot understate how bad television has been this month. Um, you know, and I can only state it from the point of view that someone that's watched bits, uh, Roy had to kind of suffer in silence and watch the lot. Um, I think Jeff went through and watched most of it as well. Um, but, but between, between that and the WWF, which Chris Relabry tells me was even worse, um, it has not been a good month of wrestling television. And as I say, as I said, kind of at the end of the news, WCW Nitro has been bombing between two and three hours at their whim. Um, there's, you know, informal thoughts that they may just go, ah, screw it, we'll just go to three hours anyway, because apparently Nitro seems to, you know, when Nitro goes off the air, it's then followed oftentimes by a Nitro rerun, certainly is at the moment, that is, you know, subject to change depending on, you know, what time of year it is and what sport's on and stuff like that, um, but the problem they're finding is that running 8 till 10 means that when they go off the air at 10 o'clock, invariably Raw gets a bit of a bump, and that's been where uh, Raw has been doing quite well. Um, They've got that. They've got a new two hours of TV coming up. And as, as we kind of alluded to, anyone's got any ideas for a new format for a two-hour wrestling show? As Dave Meltzer said in the Observe this month, if you'd like to send them to Eric Bischoff, they'd probably be quite well received. As we'll, uh, we'll find out what happened to Plan A uh, at some point. But in, in amongst about 12 to 15 hours of television leading up to the pay-per-view, there were thankfully a few things of note. Um, we'll start on the 15th of December with uh, Jeff Hart's uh, Jeff Hart? Brett Hart's I wish. I wish. I screwed that. I screwed that up twice. With Jeff Parker's favourite topics and one thereof uh, of Bret Hart, Jeff wishes. Bret Hart's formal debut on WCW television. Now there was a thought that Bret may debut either at the pay per view um, or possibly even make his full debut on the one of the Nitros after Starcade. Um, but given that WWF have been pushing Brett so much and WCW also, you know, a rating's a rating, right? It's the, it's the most important metric if you're in Atlanta. Decided to debut Brett on the 15th. Um, you know, they, there was a thought they could hype his debut for, for Starcade, but WCW, as we know, never hype anything. And because Eric Bischoff believes that the only way to create watchable television is to debut people out the blue, whenever he could, Bret Hart just walked out on the 15th during an interaction between, um, Roy Craig, was it the interaction between uh, Dillard and Bischoff, or was it uh, was yep. that his second appearance? No, it was Dillard and Bischoff, yeah. That's right. Dillard brought, Dillard brought him out. That's right. Um, so, Brett comes out, and basically the, 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 the segment, or at least the one I'm focusing on, is, is the bit where um, Bischoff says, you know, I, I want my own choice of referee, and J.K. says, fine. 
Um, you know, you can have a special guest referee. I'll let it be someone from the NWO, providing I get to pick the person who it will be. Um, and I kind of thought that was quite clever, you know, because obviously Bischoff had been, you know, labelling Brett as a member of the NWO. And Brett wasn't really formally beat, hadn't been on TV at this point to be formally drawn one way or another. So even when Brett walks out, Bischoff's all giddy. Um, and then Brett cuts this short pro- promo. You know, he says it's good to be here in Flair country. Um, Bischoff's still pretty happy at this point. Um, and he gets in a very nice line about, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to be, be screwed by Brent, Brent referee or whatever he said. Um, and then he kind of walked off and Brett was substantially named the special guest referee for the lives of his eight Bischoff match at the pay-per-view. Um, Jeff, I, I, I'll come to you first. I, I quite like the segment that they did. It's not to be critical of that necessarily. I thought Brett, you know, as, as well, as I will say, I don't know whether you would agree with this to any any degree or not, I would say that Brett is not the strongest promo in the world and sending you out at a kind of 5-10 minute long promo even with someone like me and Gina carrying through would have been a mistake so Brett wasn't out there very long, didn't that stay as well and got a couple of nice key lines and set the set the tone quite nice for the pay-per-view that being said Jeff was this the best use of Brett Hart in the broader scheme of things? Absolutely not no um Coming off of one of the most controversial and uh, talked about pro wrestling incidents in history, you have him coming down unannounced to give, as you said, a very brief, uh, you know, rundown of the third to top, second to top match on their biggest pay-per-view ever, in which he'll be their special guest referee. It feels like uh, you're not capitalizing off of all of this heat and steam that Brett has to come in after legitimately socking Vince McMahon in the face. Uh, he never actually left WWF as without losing the championship, as far as I'm concerned. So he is still the real world's champion. They're not acknowledging anything like that. Of course, there was the lawsuit with Ric Flair. But uh, to bring him out and to just say, oh, he's going to be the referee uh, for, you know, the retired wrestler versus the executive vice president, or I guess now president of whatever, uh, it just feels like off the bat you're introducing your what should be your hottest new act as just uh, – it wasn't the best in any sense for me. Rory, what did you think of the time when Hulk Hogan debuted and in his first month of WCW was made special guest referee of Ric Flair and Sting? (laughs) <laughs> Can you imagine Terry Boy actually sitting down and agreeing to that? There's, there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of things I'd have to imagine <laughs> Terry Belair sitting down to agreeing to. I don't think he did been, many of them. It wouldn't have been Ric Flair and Sting. It would have been like uh, Kit Fry and uh, Johnny B. Bad or something. Like It would have been not even the top match like if you if you said we need a troubleshooter referee for Sting Hogan to keep everything in line i could kind of see that but larry zabisco like this uh, uh don't get me started Roy, back to you sorry we'll sorry Roy. To... sorry Roy. No, no, i'm with you on this one we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to zabisco specifically in a bit uh i had to laugh when during this promo Bret Hart said i would be honored to be the special guest referee for this match. Probably the joint biggest lie he's uttered on television this year, alongside at the uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, Thursday Raw Thursday, when he said to the camera how gutted and saddened he was that Shawn Michaels had to relinquish the WWF title with that 
possible, possibly career-ending knee injury. Uh, oh, Brett, you're, you're so convincing, pal. You really are. Yes, it's... I say, Bob, I agree with you. They've played the story up quite well. One of the things I really like about Dylan as a character is that he's clever and he's fairly manipulative, but he does so in a positive way that still keeps him face. I think he's been an excellent character this year, actually, Dylan, since he came in. He gets one over on Bischoff without making it look obvious that he's getting one over on him. And uh, I hope they keep that going because I've been a fan of his. But yes, whatever you slice, whatever way you slice it, whatever your fandom or not is, whether you're Jeff or you're somebody else, you're bringing in Bret Hart as a guest referee for a match between Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff. If that one sentence alone doesn't tell you the folly of that situation, then uh, I don't know what does. And I know I said in the news that Brett's promo was rather stilted and vague, and it certainly was, but it almost had to be because, A, he wants to make sure that he gets cheered, and B, he was really just there as a plot device for this pointless, pointless match, and uh, it was a complete waste, but at the same time, it wasn't really a surprise because Bret Hart isn't Hulk Hogan. Yeah, um... They didn't have anything for Brett before the pay-per-view. That's that's pretty clear. Um, you know, and, and it, for the 50th time the last two years, you're like, WCW, maybe it would have been better to wait. But it is difficult. Like, you know, like if someone... <laughs> it's like... I, I don't know. I don't think it's a good example. But if, like, if someone gives you the toy on December the 10th and say Because it is December. Gives you the toy on December the 10th and says, you can have it now. Or you can open it on Christmas Day. It's like, well, it would mean more if I opened it on Christmas Day, but I'd rather have it now. Um, I, it's not a brilliant analogy, but it, 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 we are about four days removed. Um, basically, like, they would have been better off leaving off the television. But one, they have the problem that WWF just would not shut up about it. Um, I think that's I think that started to change once we got to kind of the second, third week in December. But all WWF seems to talk about in... Uh, in November was Bret Hart, and it's like, this is weird, like, you know, it was, it, it looked for all the world like they were bringing him back just to, you know, have him, <laughs> it looked for all the world like Bret might be coming back the way WF was presenting it, um, but this was not the way to introduce a guy that you want to stand alongside Hulk Hogan, or stand opposite Hulk Hogan, um, this is not the kind of stuff you want to be including him in. As I say, I don't think it was necessarily a bad segment. Um, I, I just think that, you know, the way to present Bret Hart would have been to basically have, you know, promote, tell it throughout the month and have it basically promote the idea that Brett was going to say his piece on the pay-per-view. And you could even do it as a sit-down interview if you... If you didn't want to risk sending Brett out there in front of a live crowd to say what he wants to say and trusting Brett to try and nail one of the most important promos of his career, I would have just tailed him on the pay-per-view. Now, of course, you know, we talk about WCW and it being a less than perfect world. We have to deal with egos in WCW and part of the problem they've clearly got is that if you tail Brett as a reason to buy the pay-per-view, guys like Sting and more likely guys like Hogan are going to feel like Brett's being, you know, used as a way of, you know, basically siphoning off the credit that they deserve for whatever buyer this show should get. And, you know, the very early news on the buyer for this show is quite good. We don't have the full numbers for it yet. Um, but yes, as we've all kind of said, it is not the way to promote someone like Bret Hart 
to bring them in and make him a special guest referee. Because, you know, first impressions do count. And it's it might sound silly for the kind of audience that will listen to this show that are very, very aware who Bret Hart is. There's a lot of people in WCW that aren't. Like, we look at when Hulk Hogan signed in... Uh, signed for WCW in 1994. He got some cheers from people who knew who he was. He got some poos from WCW fans who knew he was. But there's a lot of people that just didn't watch the WWF. They'd heard of Hulk Hogan, but they hadn't seen him a lot. I think Bret Hart's probably the kind of same thing. Um, and if you, when they brought in Hogan, they framed him as a big enough guy. So that the guys that weren't all that convinced and hadn't seen all that much of of uh, of Hogan before he joined WCW, it was like, okay, this guy's a big deal. Um, the problem WCW you have in a lot of cases, and I come back to what I said before about guys like Meng and Barbarian, is that they're very good at telling people what we should think, but they're not very good at showing us how we should think. Um, and they might be able to say Bret Hart's a former world champion. They might be able to say, you know, he's going to go up against Hulk Hogan. But if you get this presentation wrong too much too soon, it won't matter. That is the problem. Um, but as I say, I think the circumstances around this were they wanted to get Bret on television. They wanted to involve him on the pay-per-view. Again, maybe their hand was forced. Um whether this was a great way, I don't know. I, as I said, I would have just promoted Brett, the hell out of Brett and said he's going to speak for the first time on the pay per view. And you know, not that pe- not that many people are going to spend thirty bucks to hear what Brett Hart's going to say, but if they've got a vague enough interest in Hulk Hogan versus Sting, it might be the kind of thing that goes well. I'm not brilliantly blown away by Hogan and Sting, but if I get to see this match that they've been building for 18 months and I get to hear from Bret Hart, I'm more than willing to part my 30 bucks. You know, but again, WCW don't think that far ahead often, and that that is uh, that can be their problem. Um, speaking of other things, uh, as I said, we'll, we'll we'll drop these between you know, various TV reviews. It mostly happens at the back end of the month. Um, Let's speak about Larry Bischoff. Larry Bischoff. I mean, what are we doing tonight? It is, it is the uh, the Christmas hangover, I think. Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff. The uh, the the feud that I'm sure Jeff is uh, going to be very happy to talk about both before and during the show. Um, Rory, I again, Jeff, don't kill me for saying this. I don't think they've done a particularly bad job with this. Um, it's not been the most compelling or coherent storyline. Um, and, and Larry Zbysko and Eric Bischoff in the co-main event of a massive pay-per-view, in some respects, is something that you might look at a car that doesn't include Rey Mysterio, that apparently wasn't going to include Randy Savage until, like, the day of the show. And you might go there taking up space. But I think they did a pretty good job with the builds this feud, Rory. Like, in terms of... There was a segment on, on, on one of the nitros this month um, where Bischoff's out there, and the crowd are just chatting, Larry, Larry, Larry. And I'm like, that's this wasn't a, a Homer reaction. This wasn't a normal reaction. It wasn't biblical. But for, for, by hook or by crook, they, they kind of got something here. Yeah. One thing I really like about this, or the build-up for this match, is that it was an important stipulation, i.e. for keeping WCW Monday Nitro, and in the build-up to the pay-per-view, they made it seem important. I mean, they were pushing the absolute hell out of it during pretty much every single match. And oftentimes with uh, the WCW commentators, that can get a bit much. But here I understood it because it was, in kayfabe terms, their livelihoods were on the line. And when you have uh, Mike Tanay and Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan for the second hour of Nitro 
regularly saying how easy Larry's, Larry Z, as I've, I've taken to call him, because I, can, I can't spell his surname, is going to beat Bischoff up when the pay-per-view rolls round. Oh, I, I see you've seen my show notes, Rory. Oh. The, uh... I have, and when I was compiling the news today, I was convinced that I'd written Larry Zabisco correctly. I looked it up, and I'd got two letters right, the Z and the O, so there you go. <laughs> That's like just to calling him that to, to cover myself. Yes, they really did make this seem so important, and they needed to, because if you're just going to stick on Larry Zabisco versus Eric Bischoff as a match on a pay-per-view, then forget it, basically, but I really felt like it meant something. And another positive that they managed to glean from this is the fact that when you think about it and break it down, Eric Bischoff is a fantastic heel, make no mistake. Larry Zabisco in 1997 is not a very good babyface. He's not remotely likeable in the slightest. I hate him on commentary. He's just his acid poe face. He's not particularly funny. He's not particularly witty. His style is archaic. And oh, yet come managed... on. New World Odor was still funny the 50th time. <laughs> Don't give them all... Why do I doubt now we've heard, uh, we haven't actually heard the last of that? But um, they made him seem like the babyface in the promotion, and that is a credit to the booking team. So, yes, despite my qualms with the people involved, they did the absolute best they could, so fair play. Jeff? Yeah, um, I'll start with the positives, because as you kind of preluded to, I... Uh... I'm not a huge fan of Larry Zabisco as a top babyface draw, um, but it is uh, he is getting reactions. He is, uh, I, and I think that's more as as Rory mentioned. It's more Bischoff, such a great hateable heel that you could probably put a, a cardboard box or Dean Malenko in there, and they would get a top <laughs> babyface reaction. Um, but, I mean, Zabisco is, is certainly getting the, the Larry Land signs everywhere and the Larry Chants. Um, so you, and, and you want to see, the, the, I mean, the goal in pro wrestling is you want to see the heel get his comeuppance. And Bischoff has been this, you know, grinning jerk for the last however many months. And he's finally going to get punched in the mush by somebody. And that somebody just happens to be Larry Zabisco, which seems to be a thread in Zabisco's career because 17 years prior, he just happened to be across the ring from Bruno Sammartino and did his biggest business, biggest draw, biggest feud because he was in a feud with his former mentor and they did amazing business, but he happened to be just lucky enough to be the guy across from the draw. Uh, 17 years later, his most second most important match ever. They, you know, talk about him being this living legend. He's an okay talent in his prime. He happened to be married to Vern Gagne's daughter when he was world champion. So that's that. Um, he is a god awful commentator, and as a as a you know personality, he has kind of a sour face and just he's not a baby face in most senses. He's lucky to be in the spot he is. I think Dusty Rhodes would have done a million times better in this spot and probably would have represented WCW as what as a as its core as a babyface better. But uh, he's lu- he's lucky to be where he is. Um, it's a, it's it's been executed well. It's just it's what are you gonna do with Zabisco? Like where does this go? Like like after this match? Like you have guys in their forties who are so much more talented. If you if you said who's a living legend, you would you I could I could have decades to think of before I would say Larry Zabisco. Um, I, I don't know I don't know it's it's beyond my comprehension. 
Yeah, as I say, like <clears throat> there's th- th- there's a lot of reasonable arguments you feel you could make about this, and yet I kind of look at the reactions to to both guys, and it's like, imagine if this was put well. Like, that's probably my entire like. If, if there's a line for this show, I feel like that's it. Like as in. Imagine if you did this properly. Like, imagine if you did this with any kind of smarts or ideas or logic or long-term planning or anything. Like, you know, Larry Zabisco, as, as you both kind of say, is not a good commentator, although he's not the only one. And dare I say, he's probably a bit better than Rick Rude. Um, you know, he's he, he's not particularly likable, um, although he does seem to have the occasionally good one line of retort, and I guess when you compare, if he sat at a commentary booth with Mike Tanay and Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco looks really fucking cool next to those two. Like, really so. As in, like, you know, he's next to Nerd A and Nerd B. Um, you know, along, alongside those two, you are going to cheer Larry Zabisco. <laughs> but you, 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 watch, you watch what they've done, and as they say, like, it's not been particularly good. It's not been particularly coherent. But dare I say, one of the one of the things they've done with Nitro, and this speaks to something more broadly that I'll say a bit on this show, and it may be something that I have to kind of write about more on the site rather than attempting to find a time to do it. One of the things they've done with Nitro is that Nitro is this very just kind of homogenous show. Like, you can watch it for two or three hours, and the two of you can testify it this month, and I can testify it for the bulk of this year. Is it not just kind of bleed into one? You know, segment, screw finish, Bischoff comes out, you know, blow smoke up Hogan's ass. that segment finishes, and a little load of matches where nothing happens, main event, run in, etc. Not just kind of look the same. Zabisco is at least memorable. In a show where not a lot is memorable, when Zabisco stands up to Scott Hall... That is out of the ordinary for a for, for a Nitro show, and it does make a difference. Um, and rightly or wrongly, for good or for bad, they got to the pay-per-view here, and it was like they had something. Um, you know, we'll discuss in a bit whether they're able to deliver on that. Um, but it is something of note, I think, that they've taken something that, in theory could have been written a lot better, could have been written using different guys. Hell, a match of this magnitude probably should have been something like Giant against Scott Hall, with Bischoff in one corner and Zabisco in the other. That's how perhaps he would have logically booked it. That would have been better from a product standpoint and better from a show standpoint. But I don't know that people would necessarily have been so interested. We talk about the the stipulation on the line regarding um, Nitro. I don't think they presented that very well. I don't think they pitched that very well. Um, This was really about wanting to put Eric Bischoff in the ring and Larry Zabisco being credible and, you know, long enough out of the ring enough where at least they could put him in that position and it feel like an interesting and not just complete landslide of a match. For Eric Bischoff to accept a kind of match, it would have to be against someone that you'd be willing to believe to beat. So you couldn't say giant against Eric Bischoff. It wouldn't make any sense. So there is at least that. I, I think there's there's something to that. Moving on, speaking of Monday Nitro, it's really NWO Monday Nitro. We come to the 22nd of November. Um, and basically for the last 60, 90 minutes of the show, something like that. As we've got to alluded to in the news and we've alluded to in the, in the TV reviews too. You know, Hollywood, it's a wonderful life being with you. 
It's like nothing I would have ever imagined, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, I love you, boss, but we're going to party on through 1998. But the party is over for one little chickling. Singer, you shall be sung, brother. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. This isn't my first barbecue. Hollywood is used to the high-pressure situations. Hollywood is used to beating main eventers all over the world. And on the 28th in Starcade, things shall be sung. You shall be another notch on the NWO belt because the pressure's on you. When you don't pull this one off, when you don't rise to the occasion, it was written, it was said, and Eric, it will be done. You, you know, you shouldn't have. I, enough is enough, boss. I, I, I didn't, oh, I, I didn't do you that. Know I love you. No, but Hollywood, really. Scott, Kevin. No, I didn't. The NWO is just too sweet. Oh, that's the oh that's the hitman. The limo You're has right. arrived back on the scene with one guy, Brett the Hitman the Hart, member of the NWO, Brett Hitman Hart. I knew it had to be him. Hold on, boss. Thank you, Brett. What did I tell you? Well, it looks like a message has been delivered to Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the NWO, Mr. Rude. What is that? What is this? What is going on now? Is Bret Hart trying to say he wants a that. piece of the NWO? Rude, it, look at that. It's Sting. Sting has arrived on the scene. And he's up on top of the NWO sign at the top of the building here in Macon. Take him out, Hollywood. Take him out! Staying on his way to the ring! We'll see you Sunday at Starcade! Basically, the NWO B team come out and start tearing up the set. And they basically, you know, they, they boot out all the commentators and they, you know, replace all of the WCW Nitro signage with NWO Nitro signage. There's this one brilliant section where if you, if you, if you imagine the, um, Nitro set, the, the, the ramp point, they've got these big WCW logo blocks kind of either side of where people walk through. Um, and basically, these blocks very clearly and simply just slide on and off, presumably so they're very easy to store. Um, but it's not cool to try and imply that you can just lift these things off. So at one point, they've got this one guy working an angle grinder against the WCW logo block to make it look like he's actually trying to, you know, basically just sawing it off. But obviously, there's nothing to saw off. It's not attached. Still moving around the back of the, the, the stage, basically, where the, where the commentators are. And you see, angle, this is, and essentially, angle grinding, this is random piece of iron. Just behind the block. Like, nothing, anything attached, just to create some sparks to make it look like he's, you know, 
destroy this WCW block, which I thought was, was silly, if nothing else. And they get all these big NWO Monday Nitro banners and they stick them on, uh, you know, all around the arena and stuff like that. And I, I think the other line point to this is they've clearly gone to great expense to do this. And as you'll recall, if you can recall that September 1996 podcast that my mic failed for the final half an hour, they've done this before. They did it in September last year. They basically had the... The NWO guys take over, come out. They they did a little bit to the set, but there was no graphics and stuff like that. NWO commentary, basically the whole thing. Um, and then for the next 90 minutes, they proceeded just to have a, a loving would probably be the best way of doing it. Essentially, they bought out Eric Bischoff. And basically, there was this idea that they were, you know, essentially they were... An, were still trying in the week leading up to the show to essentially convince Hogan to lose to Sting. Um, now, quite well, they got to that by that point. I don't know. Quite well, they got to that by the time the show went on air. I don't know either. Um, but basically, they come out and they're like, oh, Hulk Hogan, you're the best, and here's the this Sports Illustrated cover. You're the only wrestler to ever appear on Sports Illustrated, even though that's not true. Here's a photo of you in one of the Rocky movies, you know, going up against um, Roy, what's the name of the actor in Rocky? I've got blank. Stallone. That's the one. Uh, Hogan holding up Sylvester Stallone, choking him out and all that kind of thing. They put that out. They, they held it up high in the arena. Um, they bought out this um, custom Hulk Hogan motorcycle. It said it was the wrong one. So the guy went backstage and bought out another one, the actual one. <laughs> so they bought out two motorcycles, one for a present for Hogan. Later in the show, they presented Hogan with a ring, which was very well done. It only looks a bit tacky, but it's very well done. In the, like a, a ring in the shape of the WCW title belt, which I thought was was quite nice, it was a bit weird, and they're basically blowing smoke up Hogan's ass, and they did various matches through the rest of the hour that didn't really make any sense. Um, you know, they brought out uh, Rick Rude on commentary, who is a terrible commentator, like, really bad. Uh, they had they had uh, Bobby Heenan basically join the NWO, only for six, six days later, him not to, uh, because they'd already pre-taped the, uh, they'd already pre-taped the, uh, the, the, the leading show to Starcade and he was all WCW straight down the line announcer um, then they did the thing on Nitro then they showed the, the preview before the show and they basically went ah oh, shit it's going to be easy if we don't put Bobby on the show at all so that's the reason Heenan's not on this show on, on Starcade uh, and then they went through the rest of the show and we'll get to the bits that happened with Sting both on this show and the show before in a bit um, Jeff We've seen this before. We saw it in September last year. We saw it uh, sold out in January. We've seen it on WCW Saturday night previously. We've seen it everywhere. Um, but WCW got a bit of a kicking on this show, uh, not only because the, the 90 minutes I speak about were unspeakably horrendous, um, but also because they got hammered in the ratings in that hour. They still beat Raw, um, but something like 0.6 worth of ratings, people, which is... Uh, I don't know, that's, it's at least half a million people, I think, tuned out over the course of the hour. Jeff, this was awful, and, and, and so bad to the point where they had, and still are, essentially scrambling to find another plan for um, what they're going to do going forward. Yes, absolutely. So I changed the channel uh, to Raw. I totally gave up on this show. I watched it for all you people listening at home right now, but... Um, Given my druthers, I would have never rewatched this because it was 
it was grating and obnoxious and unfun and unentertaining and boring. And all of those things should not be associated with your wrestling product, especially when Vince McMahon's on the other side trying to beat your ass. Um, the issue is parts of the NWO are the most over and cool and edgy and entertaining parts of the WCW product. And that can be Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. That can be, you know, maybe maybe six when he's in the cruiserweight division. Or there's some stuff that uh, Buff Bagwell or maybe – I like Conan personally, but I, he's not a great worker. But there are certain things that have a cool factor to them. Then there are things like Vincent and Hulk Hogan's brother promos that seem to go on forever, or the ultimate heel Eric Bischoff, or all of the B and C level members like, you know, uh, Scott Norton and, you know, Chano and these guys that just don't fit in with. Uh, uh, once you get past Hall and Nash and, and, and Six, it stops being the coolest, the cool toy under the tree and starts to be the sweater, the ugly sweater, if we're going to do a Christmas theme, that you don't want. And Hogan is the, you know, really old, sunburnt action figure that uh, doesn't work anymore, that you got and are expected to play with, you know, more than any of them. Uh, I just, I, I think there's there's got to be a balance between good and and the the totally oversaturated parts of the NWO. And when they convince themselves that they can do a TV show around that, you have to understand cool things people will watch. Heels they'll watch if they get beaten and the villains. But if the villains are entertaining themselves, that's not entertaining. And that's what they've always done with Bischoff. And, and you know, I love Rick Rude. He's horrendous in this situation, especially when you have Kurt Hennig there who is one of the quickest-witted guys on the microphone, as we've seen for, for years doing commentary for Vince. There's just there's just so many, like, any type of ways they could flounder in this NWO Nitro episode, they did. And it's just, it's egos, it's self-aggrandizing belief that, you know, you can we're so entertaining, we'll just put ourselves on there and it'll matter. It's just, they could not have failed worse. And like I said, I changed the channel. I couldn't handle it. It was too bad. It was Ed Wood. Ed Wood? Uh, he's a director, uh, probably famous for Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is generally considered one of the worst movies ever made. It's like kind of now so bad it's good. Uh, a couple of years ago, Tim Burton did a movie called Ed Wood based on his, his life and his uh, kind of tr trials and tribulations in Hollywood as a B-movie auteur. But it's uh, it's basically uh, shorthand for awful. <laughs> um, so yes, Roy, you, Bob, you don't know Stallone or Ed Wood. No, I I, for, I forgot Stallone's name. Oh, who's that uh, guy from Rocky? Uh, I, 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 well, yeah, all right. I don't know who, who fucks Ed Wood, but no, I I know who Sylvester Stallone is. I just forgot his name. Um, he's not the only man I've forgotten on this show so far. Rory? Bobby's just like, Bobby's just like Vince McMahon. If it doesn't happen in the world of professional wrestling, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. When I sat down to watch all three hours of uh, Monday Night Show on the 22nd of December, and you're welcome, I was pretty confident that uh, the worst thing I was going to see took place in the first hour, when during his interview segment, Diamond Dallas, Diamond Dallas Page said, and I quote, anybody who knows me knows me as Mr. Christmas. And that's a shoot. 
Compared to what we got in the remaining two hours, however, that was practically his version of the Hard Times promo. You could be a fan of professional wrestling for many reasons. You could be in it purely for the work rate. You could be in it for the colourful characters. You could be in it for the storylines. People of many dispositions know who watch wrestling listen to these shows and indeed are on the staff for these shows as well. One thing I think I can say with a reasonable degree of confidence is that nobody becomes a professional wrestling fan to watch Buff Bagwell ask a stagehand to carve the letters MWO into a piece of marble. I can say that fairly confidently. And that whole thing, that went on for fucking ever. I mean, we always talk about on these shows how important it is for both WWF and WCW to get their really big angle, normally really big promo, if I'm honest, at the start of the second hour. And this is how WCW chose to do it. I don't necessarily have an idea with the NWO doing this sort doing this sort of takeover thing because, again, in kayfabe, it is their ultimate goal. But why not have them do that at the start of the show? Or we, as soon as we go up on air, we find out that they've been uh, they spent the last 10, 50 minutes t- taking over the show. And just as we're beginning, they've nearly got all the NWO paraphernalia up. I mean, we just sat there endlessly, endlessly, you know, tap, tap, tap with the hammer, saw, saw, saw with the saw. I was like, yeah, can we get some wrestling now? And then, after those 20 minutes, we get Hulk Hogan being delivered a Harley Davidson, a Harley Davidson with his face on it, and then an open-topped NWO limo, complete with a hot tub and two Nitro Girls. Or should I say they were actually NWO Nitro Girls? All I will say, to be charitable, they probably wouldn't have got very far in the NWO Miss, Nitro, uh, Miss NWO Parade back in January, but uh, I'll talk about that a bit more in our review of the year. But, uh, yes, what were they trying to gain from this? Because don't forget, this was the go-home show for Starcade. Their final opportunity to ram home the match that they have been building for the last 18 months. Their biggest pay-per-view of the year, and it was just a two-hour circle jerk. Oh, yuck. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the idea was here. Then again, at times, I don't know what the idea with any of the NWO stuff is. I think you've you both, between you, touched on a lot of the reasons why this was so bad. Um, I, I, Jeff, you mentioned it, but I don't think you got very far with it, was that Hulk Hogan these days is a terrible promo. Um, I, I know that was one of the things he was famed for back in the day, go back 10, 15 years. Um, but one... You know, I think wrestling has moved on. I think we're we're used to much more nuance in our promos these days, and much more, I want to say, humility. But you know, we're used to people being more human rather than Hogan, who's in this constant, like you know, on edge brother wrestling promo. You know, two minutes from 1986. Um, we're kind of more accustomed to that kind of thing. Hogan. Hogan's really hateful anymore. It's just kind of embarrassing. We talk about the cool fact of the NWO. Hogan's some of it just because he's name value, right? Um, you know, H- Hogan's the guy that, that gets Dennis Rodman in the door. Anyone that can get Dennis Rodman in the door is it is worth something. Um, but, you know, like those segments where Bischoff's just blowing smoke up Hogan's ass and pretending like he's, pretending like he's the, you know, the, the this, you know, this, I don't know. Like, who thinks that's watchable? Who wants to watch Eric Bischoff just for hours on end go, oh, Hulk, you're the best. You're the best ever. You're the greatest. 
like, you know, with no real, like, nothing matters in WCW, that's the problem. Is, you know, Hogan get beaten by Steam, get beaten by Roddy Piper, by anybody, it doesn't matter. Bischoff comes out the next night, blows smoke up his ass, and nothing means anything. Um, and, and, and yeah, this, this vision, like I, you know, the NWO was great before it became the NWO. Like, the, I, I wouldn't really call it a great five weeks of television, because it amounted to about 25 minutes of, of TV in total, because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were often only appearing on the final couple minutes of shows. But the best bits of the NWO was when it was just Hall and Nash, the two real cool guys, just tearing shit off before the NWO joined. If anything, the, it starts to go downhill once, once Hulk Hogan joined and they branded it. And don't get me wrong, they rode that Crescent Wealth Ray for a long, long time. They may still be riding it. But that was what made it cool. Like, you know, the idea that they could have taken this kind of, you know, a disease, if you want to call it that, this just kind of thing that was just sat inside this bigger thing of WCW that made sense because they're an outside force pushing against the limits and seeing how far they can go. The idea that you could take that and just segment it off into its complete own show, nobody thought this through. And what I don't understand is that we got the warning in September 96, that terrible hour of TV which did not do very well in the ratings front. We got the warning on the pay-per-view in January. NWO saw that, which was a horrendous three hours of, uh, of pro wrestling. This idea that you could do this NWO-focused show and have it make even any kind of sense in any kind of you know, storytelling universe, they'd never borne out. Um, and let's be clear, this was the plan. Like... They may never use those graphics again. They may never use those logos and boards and stuff again. They clearly went to quite a lot of time and expense to put together NWO graphics and NWO paraphernalia for this for this new show. It was clearly the intention up until, I don't want to say this week, but I think close, because there is the thought that they maybe had this stuff together a while back, maybe they abandoned it, and they thought, well, if we put it on TV, at least it'll be a, a work and a swerve, so that people might think that Zabisco was going to lose. Okay, there might be something to that. But there was very definitely the idea, and they very, very well still have this idea, that they were going to have a live weekly NWO show. Now, they kind of quite rightly said, well, it's a bit experimental, it might take Take a bit of time to get it right. Shall we move on to the Thursday show? If the Thursday show, if the concert doesn't do very well, it's a new night. It's not up against Raw, and it won't kill the, you know, the, the goose that's laying the golden egg on Monday nights, which kind of makes sense. That's logical. But they, they never really thought through what does that show mean? What does it look like? But clearly, they still thought it was a good idea, and so we get shows like this, ninety minutes like this, of just abhorrent action. Like, action, if you can call it that. We wheel out Rick Rude on commentary. He's terrible. Reel out, you know, God knows what. Just people blowing smoke up Hogan's house. Like, who thinks this is compelling television? Like, you know, and that's the thing. They would have got the TV ratings. Maybe they get them Tuesday morning, if not Wednesday morning. And I think there would have been a lot of very, very sober faces in, uh, in Atlanta on Wednesday morning. When they saw those ratings, and you know, maybe they saw the the quarter hours. Maybe they get minute by minute. So I'm not sure exactly what the the TVs get access to, but I imagine it's a lot more detail than we see 
um, appear in the newsletters. And I think a lot of people would have gone, shit, this is a bad idea. Um, and now, you know, not that they not that they signed up for a, an extra two-hour weekly live show, they're going to call Thunder to, to make it to make it, you know, NWO Thunder. But that was clearly a thought in their minds, was, shall we do an NWO-only show? The message that's come back time and time and time again is no. And the one thing they've never realised, and this comes back to what Jeff said, the NWO isn't cool because it's the NWO. The NWO is cool because they've got Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Six, and to an extent, Hulk Hogan. To an extent. As in, it's cool because it's Scott Hulk Hogan. Not because Hogan's involved in the segments, because Hogan, as I say, is a terrible promo. Um, Rory, any more on that before we move on to Hogan's thing? Uh, no, not really. Only to say that um, I'd like to know what Hogan's actually going to do with those those, those two Harley Davidsons. Is 50 Harley Davidsons not enough for the man? Jeff, any more? Uh, yeah, I, I thought the one you know analogous uh, pro wrestling comparison I could give you regarding the NWO's oversaturation with this NWO Nitro would be how great Piper's Pit was in the 80s and how much of a a++ interview and promo Rowdy Rowdy Piper was. Now, he's a little long-winded these days, um, but you got a, a Piper's pit, and he sat down, and he would interview somebody, and it would be compelling uh, programming for the WWF for how many minutes? Um, I, can, I can tell you it wasn't 60. I can tell you it wasn't 90 minutes. Rory referred to the Hard Times Dusty Rhodes promo, which was cut over the span of several minutes. If you gave Dusty Rhodes, who, spoiler alert, has a bit of an ego himself, if you gave Dusty Rhodes 60 to 90 minutes to talk about the Dusty Rhodes show, you might get a nugget of Hard Times, and then you would have a lot of too much of a good thing. Same with Piper. You have to emphasize their strengths and move on. And even the best, even the coolest. And I'm going to use Scott Hall because I think Scott Hall is the brightest bright spot of the NWO because he seems to be the coolest guy to me. And Nash to a degree. But I think I think Hall is a better performer and I, I enjoy him more. If you gave Scott Hall a Piper's Pit every week and it was NWO black and white, that's one thing, a segment. Just like Piper, just like Dusty, they can do it. But when you give it that expanded, that's the whole show. The theme is now that. It's the equivalent, and another analogy I'm going to use is The Simpsons. The idea of itchy and scratchy, those little, you know, the cat and mouse things that Krusty the Clown, clown plays, they're, they're the 20-second the little clips. Fans have always said to Matt Groening, well, what, why don't you do a whole episode of Itchy and Scratchy? You know why you don't? Is because after the 30 seconds, you don't want to see the the spleen get removed and fed to the cat, and then the cat blows up, and then the, the mouse does something, and then on and on and on, because it's redundant and pointless and oversaturated. It's little snippets and move on. And that's why pro wrestling promos are the length they are, and Eric Bischoff and the ego involved just can't do it. Sorry for the ramble. That was... I think really good analogies, so I'll get my slow clap later. <laughs> I'll, I'll get Eric Bischoff to cut a promo on you. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll do it like that. That's how. Uh, There's a motorcycle on its way to uh, to Canada for, uh, for for that shift. Well done. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know why they haven't 
in the advice before. Um, but yes, in, a, in some kind of way, this 90 minutes might have been the best thing that happened to WCW. If it stopped them over committing to this idea on Monday night, it might just have saved them. Um, as I say, like it's possible they had the, all that stuff ready a while ago. It's possible they had it ready last December and they just never used it. Like, well, we might as well bring it out for the hell of it. Um, but if they made that stuff in the last couple of months, uh, then they've just wasted a lot of time and effort. In fact, they wasted a lot of time and effort anyway because they, they went to the trouble to make it in the first place. Um, you know, graphics are one thing. Graphics, you can sit a couple of guys in a, in a room for a, for a week or so. They'll put those together. But the expense of getting all the paraphernalia made, bad, bad idea. Anyway, one more thing to discuss when we get to the pay-per-view. Um, it is Sting versus Hulk Hogan, obviously the, uh, the, the big main event. Um, Roy, a bit of an open-ended question, really. Um, but but we'll, we'll tie it in with the, their interactions this month. What do you think of uh, Sting versus Hogan as a build? They've got, pretty, or they have got, pretty much everything right up until this month. Quibble here, quibble there. By and large, it was set in stone from, I would say, March time that it was going to be the main event of Starcade. And they've held off it. They've built it at the right times, developed it correctly, got the right heat on the right people at the right time. You hear they just run out of steam. And the three supposedly big set pieces that they had on Nitro this month, they just didn't work. They went back to the dummy, crashing through the ring again, and this time it being Sting. Now, just think about it from a logic perspective. Why would Sting go through all that palaver when he could just come down from the rafters and beat them up anyway? Makes no sense. And plus, he didn't get his hands on Hogan. Okay, I can let that go. But then, on the 15th and the 22nd, Sting, I think I'm right in saying this, on December the 15th, we see him appear. Oh, yes, that makes a change. And it was actually played by our old friend, uh, Jeff Farmer, Cobra, NWO Sting, anyway. And on, uh, so on December the 22nd, he comes down to the ring from the Nitro set on a winch, and the show goes off the air. I see what they were trying to do. Saying, oh, if you want to see these two get it on in the ring, you've got to buy the pay-per-view on Sunday. But that's not the impression I got. It came to me as though they peaked with the build for this feud, maybe even two months ago, round about Halloween Havoc time, and they've just been marking time until they get to the end of December wouldn't go as far to say they completely killed Sting and Hogan. We've got a pay-per-view to discuss that in. But they really did not help themselves. And what I would have done, get my fantasy booker hat on, I haven't done that for a couple of months, I wouldn't even have Sting appear on the last two Nitros before um, uh, before Star. I'll mention this a bit more again on the pay-per-view, but I wouldn't have him appear on the Nitros before Starcade. I would have done a deal where after he beat up the NW on the 8th, nobody has seen him, no sightings, Nobody knows maybe even where his allegiances lie. You can even play that up through the pay-per-view itself. And then eventually, just as the match is about to begin, Hogan wants to, I don't know, give the match to himself by forfeit or something. Then Sting comes down from the rafters, and uh, it's on, motherfucker. But uh, none of that happened. They just showed Sting in the rafters and on a winch because that's what Sting does, isn't it? And that's not the way, again, much like the last night show itself, that's not the way for the big final sell of the Biggest pay-per-view in the history of our sport. Yeah, the the end of the that that show on the fifteenth. Um, 
you know, for, for, for a program that has no problem just, like, being two hours and then going three, they really do have an issue, sometimes by design, sometimes not, of running short of time. Um, and they had about five or six minutes left for this closing segment. Then a couple of fans got involved, which really screwed up the timing. Um, apparently, Harry Bischoff ended up swearing near a live mic. Not that I picked up on it, but apparently it happened. Um, as, as this angle was going down... And then, basically, Sting gets on the, 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 the top of the set, so he's about, you know, 10 feet off the, the entrance ramp in the air. And then he climbs down, and they just run out of time. Sting's walking towards Hogan. See you next week, folks. And you're like, okay, but you read all about it, you're like, well, if they did lose 90 seconds in the last six minutes dicking about trying to deal with some fans, maybe you can explain it. Show in the next week. Sting gets on the same set again. He's got this kind of, you know, this rope line to go from, um, his zip line to go from the set to the ring. And he jumps off and he starts bouncing his way towards the ring. Credits on the bomb. See you on Sunday, folks. So, oh, that's it. That, that, our entire build was Sting's going to attack Hogan. No one knows what's going to happen. We're not going to show it you. Buy the pay-per-view. Like, that's good. Like, that's smart. Like, that's logical. I, I've no idea. Jeff, what, what, Jeff, same open-ended question. Thoughts on the bill, both short-term and long-term? Yeah, it felt like they peaked um, and ran out of, of ideas for Sting about four to six weeks ago. Like, they've they've done such a great job at making Sting feel special and protected and... We all know it's going to capsize at Starcade. It's going to be the the crescendo to the booking of the of Sting not working all these months, all these years now. Um, and what do they give us? They give us a lot of these spooky Sting at the top of the ramp, spooky Sting with the kind of like he's now Batman with the rappelling down from the from the the, the zip line like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. It was. It got a little too um, heavy-handed with with Sting coming again. You're going off the air with Sting about to attack the guy he's about to wrestle in a pro wrestling match on a pay per view. It was it was overthought and it under delivers because you've given us so much of the same thing already. Um, I feel like, and this is my fantasy Booker moment. I think that you have enough B-level NWO guys that you could just use Sting sparingly, maybe with the bat, taking guys out. Kind of like like scenes from The Crow, where he takes out all of the gang members and gets to the final boss fight at the end of the movie with the main villain. You could take out Vincent one week, Scott Norton the next, and no one's going to miss these people. And the commentary could be at Starcade. The numbers are, are dwindling, and we've seen what Sting's wrath will do, and it all peaks with he's going to get Hogan. Um, obviously, they don't do that because the A-level NWO guys don't really care to work the pay-per-views anymore, apparently. So we're stuck with Scott Norton and Vincent having to be integral parts of carrying matches. I uh, I just I I felt like they over exposed Sting a bit here, did the same, went with the same pat hand, and Hogan's just, Hogan's just so the same rambling thing over and over again that it just gets a bit stale, but I want to see the match. I was, it had a big fight anticipation, and it didn't, 
it wasn't detra- I, I wasn't detracted by these weeks. It's just I want to get there already. I, I don't even care about these weeks. And maybe that's why the the ratings were so so blah because the turnoff of the NWO Nitro was partially. I don't care. I just want to see them get in the ring finally. So that's where I was at. I just was anticipating Starcade. I didn't care about all of this other crap. No, again, largely to agree with with almost everything both of you guys have said. Um, you know, you said it. You said between you, kind of peaked. You know, last month it, it probably peaks in about August. Like you know, the, the whatever this bar rate turns out, there's a very very good case it'll be the biggest bar rate WCW have ever done. That mistake you for the fact they perhaps could have done a lot more. You know, they perhaps could have taken this somewhere else and, uh, and got somewhere even bigger. Um, but I guess the bigger thing is, I don't feel like they did much damage in the last couple of months. It wasn't particularly clever, it wasn't particularly nuanced. You know, and none of it's been particularly nuanced, right? Hogan comes out one week. Sting, where are you? Sting just isn't there for reasons that are never explained. Sting, I will let you challenge for my title tonight. Sting's not there, so he never challenges him. Next week, ah ha ha, Sting's not here because he's a he's a wuss. Turns out Sting's in the ceiling. Hogan ships himself and runs away. Next week, Sting just isn't there. Hogan says, I'm not scared of you, Sting. I'll fight you anywhere, anytime. Next week, Sting confronts him and Hogan fucks off and Sting wipes out the rest of the NWO. There's been no nuance to it. It's not been a clever storyline. Like, you know, they could have added so many different layers. But the fact is, and again, it is just one of these really weird things of wrestling. We're sort of seeing it with Steve Austin too. The less guys are in the ring, the less guys are on TV, the more over they get. This is kind of why five hours, four hours of, of live TV a week is going to be a problem for WCW, particularly Jeff, as you say, because most of WCW's A-tier guys don't even bother to turn up on most of the shows. Sting, Sting versus Hogan was built in anticipation if you try and work out why, it doesn't really make any sense. But the fact is, they've built a match that people wanted to see. In part because Hogan was the, the only person Hogan was scared of was Sting. Now, again, you could have built that in the course of two months. You didn't need 12, but they just happened to make it work. And again, like Nitro just seems to be this one big drunken blur. And the fact is, is that they seem to have just put enough plot points in to suggest that Sting versus Hogan is a massive match. And finally, Hogan might meet his maker. And that is as good a place as any to leave this discussion. I think it's finally time to move on to the pay-per-view. Rory, kick us off with the results. I shall indeed. Eddie Guerrero defeated Dean Malenko to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The team of Scott Norton, Vincent and Randy Savage, selling for Conan, defeated Ray Trailer and the Steiner Brothers. Goldberg beat Steve McMichael. Saturn defeated Chris Benoit in a match held under Raven's own rules. Buff Bagwell bested Lex Luger. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Kurt Hennig to win the WCW US Heavyweight Championship. Larry Zabisco defeated Eric Bischoff by disqualification in a match to secure WCW Monday Nitro, in which Bret Hart was the special guest referee. And eventually... Sting defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan by submission to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, just a very quick bit of backstory before we go around the table and get some uh, opinions on all of this. Uh, you, you maybe noticed, firstly, the um, uh, one big omission from that, that card was Kevin Nash. 
Um, not for the first time in the last couple of months, they shuffled Kevin Nash and Giant for uh, a pay-per-view. Um, and Nash, essentially, whose father has had, you know, uh, if his father has, I can't remember if his father's still alive or not, but I know he has hereditary issues regarding heart problems and things like that. Um, Nash basically reported in with um, concerns about that. Um, you know, apparently it turned out to be, you know, indigestion, which apparently happens, you know, medically speaking, you know, chest pains can be a lot of things, and it, it can be things like that. Um, but whatever reason or another, Kevin Nash was not going to be on this card. Now, the, the cynic in you might quite rightly think that Nash came up with this as an excuse because he didn't want to lose to the Giant, but he wasn't on the card. Um, Conan had to... Roy, what's the issue with Conan again? I can't remember. Uh, I, I can't actually recall now. Uh, was it... Was was so was that right? Yeah, no, that sounds about right, yes, because... Savage wasn't even booked on the show originally, I think I'm right in saying. No, bizarrely enough. Quite, uh, quite soon before the pay-per-view went up, that he was actually eventually uh, slotted into the match. Oh, thank you for Jeff for pushing some, some notes in my direction, at least. Nash's dad did, uh, did indeed die very young, and uh, Conan's uh, wife had a miscarriage, I think. Yes, that's right. As, so both of those guys didn't appear on the show. Um, and, you know, there were other issues. Raven was scheduled to face Chris Benoit, but his knee wasn't in shape to perform. And there were other weird things going on as well, where, like, Dean Malenko apparently wasn't happy being put on the card because his wife was about to give birth. Um, but apparently, rather than just do the logical thing, which would have been to make it a three-way and involve Rey Mysterio, speaking of guys that weren't on this card, Rey Mysterio being very high on that list, they said decided that, no, we've advertised Guerrero and Malenko and God damn it we're going to give it to them so apparently they chartered a flight for Malenko to get him there for the show um, basically because they did not want to have another match that wasn't billed as advertised Randy Savage got slotted into a six man tag which originally was just going to involve one of the Steiners killing Vincent um, but replacing Conan Savage said well I ain't fucking doing it the only way I'm going to do it is if you let me pin Scott Steiner <laughs> Scott Steiner wasn't particularly happy so there's this big trade off that involved Steiner getting um, you know, Steiner being asked to get a load of offense before Savage pinned him which is all a bit weird and all the other things that are going on in this show. Uh, Jeff, uh, what did you think of this show? Right, so I sat down with uh, great anticipation. I had a whole bunch of bowls of snacks, and I had, you know, the special. Everything was, it was a very Super Bowl, WrestleMania-type level of excitement, um, which is a really a first for a WCW pay-per-view. Usually it's just me and some friends get together and, it's a fun, you know, it's a pay-per-view, right? It's a viewing party that you do just like the WWF in your houses. But there's the special ones. There's the Royal Rumble, there's WrestleMania, and, and SummerSlam. We don't speak about Survivor Series anymore. So uh, that's that. But this was the first WCW that I was, it felt like a, a Lennox Lewis or a, a Mike Tyson or a big fight, a Super Bowl level of anticipation. Even though I know Hogan's limitations, I don't know what to expect out of Sting, but the build has been so great. It was a, it was like their WrestleMania, which they don't really have one of those, even though they number the Super Brawls. Um, and I was, I was very much excited to see how things were going to go down. And because of that uh, wide-eyed anticipation, I was more let down than I probably have been for any pay-per-view since maybe ever uh it was 
pretty horrendous. We were let down last month. I don't talk. About I don't. I, I, you know. I. I, I you know what's going on. No, I wasn't. I wasn't let down because when you you see when when wrestling happens in Canada, it's going to be special always. Uh, right. Um, and and the card. Well said. The the card itself was was good or solid or you know I I was I was thoroughly entertained and then the controversy that stemmed out of it was what it was and we all know that Bret Hart is a hundred percent right and validated. And will be in, in record books for you know centuries to come. But that no, that wasn't a letdown. That was shocking. Uh, but the build up to Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels for the one millionth time wasn't something I was I was excited for. We all just sat down and were looking forward to it, and maybe hoping Bret just shot on him, uh, which I guess maybe kind of happened in some ways. Uh, but no, this was this was a spectacular failure, and I just I cannot stress how spectacular of a failure it was because it should have been the most paint-by-the-numbers easy show to book, and they tripped over their own shoelaces. Roy? Yes, WCW like to dick around with Starcade a lot, don't they, what is supposedly their biggest show of the year. In 1989, we had this Iron Man tournament thing, which was round robins for singles and tag teams that nobody cared about. In 1990, we had some international tag team tournament that nobody cared about. In 91 and 92, we had Battle Bowl, which only Bob cares about. And in 95, we had the World Cup of Wrestling. Starcade is supposed to be their version of WrestleMania. And yes, I know that they actually got there first 15 months before WrestleMania went up. But that is the point. It's the culmination of all feuds, which the babyfaces, by and large, go over. And everybody goes home very happy. Everything's reset and we're ready for a new year of programming. That would be bad enough in its own right for them not achieving it. But for this Starcade in this year, with this feud, with this main event, for them to, as Jeff rightly says, trip over their shoelaces, for this, it's unforgivable. The show, when you're taking various matches out of it and looking at them closely was not a complete disaster from an in-ring perspective. I think it was probably, by and large, probably a superior wrestling show to Survivor Series last month. But that is dubbing it with the ultimate flame praise because it should have been WCW putting their foot on Vince McMahon's neck. And they released it, and they screwed up the unscrew-offable. Yeah, um... You know, it's. It, I don't. I don't want to keep going back to last month, but it is the the one difference to Shawn Michaels and, and Hulk Hogan is that at least kind of Shawn wears a lot of his problems on his sleeves. Like you know, that Shawn's very upfront with his with, with being a bit of a cunt. Um, a Hulk bit? Hogan, a, a, yeah, a bit of a cunt. You can edit yeah. me a bit out, Bob. Right, I'll, I'll bleep a bit out there, or we'll just leave in the rest of it. Um, but you know, with Hogan, it's a little bit more under the table. Not to say it's less obvious, but it's a bit more like I'll stab you in the back without you seeing me. That kind of thing. At least when I deal with Shawn Michaels, I get all of his problems in my face. Um, yes, they had one job on this show, um, and I kind of was watching it and thought. Sting could kill Hulk Hogan in like 30 seconds here. I don't think I'd complain. Like, I think that would be a, you know, 
that you know, be, maybe it'd be a bit of a letdown. But Hogan gets in the ring, goes for goes for a swipe. Sting drops him with the death drop, puts him in the Scorpion. Hogan submits. End of match. So that would have been it, right? You know, getting Hulk Hogan to agree to that. You know, good luck. Um, but they didn't have a difficult job here, other than getting Hulk Hogan to agree to just lay down for Sting, basically. Um, and you know, we'll come to. Uh, what was accident, what was design, what was Hogan leaning on people in a bit. Um, but they managed to, as you kind of say, just about screw up the unscrew-upable. Um, and yes, you know, when you build something up for so long, in some ways it could never live up to the hype. Um, but in other ways, just get your core competencies right and do what you need to do, and then walk off and work it out. It doesn't have to be spectacular. You'll never match the hype you're giving it. Just be good. Um, they didn't get it right. The rest of the show kind of is what it was, or was what it was. Anyway, he watches from the shadows. He witnessed the ruin of an empire. He's a video package to open the show. Now he seeks the ruin of a man, as they walk through a stormy setting. We're in Washington, D.C. DC for Starcade 1997, a big load of pyro mid-ring. There's a load of WCW wrestlers in the crowd. Could they not sell those tickets, was my uh, was my thought, as they were in some quite expensive ringside seats. And then I've also got, is Rey Theory really not on this card? Apparently not. Um, yeah, uh, neither is also a dragon. Work that out. Uh, apparently the ref- referee for the main event will be done by random draw. Uh, the other bit of story, I'll mention this now while I remember it, it will come up a little bit. Um, they wanted Al Hebner to referee this main event. Um, they did try. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea that they will that Al Hebner and most of the crowd would have gone, who? Um, but yeah, um, they did try and get Al Hebner, but apparently they didn't try hard enough. Anyway, on to the opening match, it's Jeff's favourite Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero for the WCW Cruiserweight title. A big fan of the black ring canvas. Scrappy start as Malera hits a drop kick and it's fair to say the crowd are lively. Wow. Guerrero runs up the ropes looking for a slingshot arm drag. He comes off and Malenko catches him and just smashes him with a powerbomb. Picks him back up and then does it again as a big gas reverberates around the arena. Guerrero runs up the aisleway. Malenko does a front suplex sending Eddie onto the top rope. I don't wish to be smart but this crowd are easily impressed. Guerrero pleads for mercy, even kissing, kissing Malenko on the foot. Malenko sends Guerrero into the top turnbuckle and then hits a belly to back. Guerrero slides out of a suplex and lands on the apron then drops Malenko neck first over the top rope. Guerrero puts Malenko's legs between the ring steps and ring posts then drop kicks it. Big gas for that. A powerbomb from Guerrero for a two. Guerrero looks for a tilt and whirl something but Malenko drops into a backbreaker. The sound of the powerbombs in this match has been excellent. Malenko just coldly hits another one. Guerrero attempts a baseball slide but Malenko just sidesteps it. Eddie hits a frog splash on Malenko's knee after working it for the last few minutes, pins him and retains his title. Jeff. Yeah, I was uh I thought it was not as good as it could have been, because both of these guys are mechanically among the best in North America. I would have loved to have seen Ray Mysterio thrown in as like a little bit of uh, of a diverse three-way because you can do so much more between the chemistry Malenko has with Ray, the chemistry Ray has with Eddie, and then you can do so many more creative spots with the three. And uh, as we've been shown, Ray's in the crowd, although the first time I saw, I swear I thought it was a kid with the Ray Mysterio mask. 
um, because he's just he's a little fella. Um, but the match itself didn't deliver for me, maybe because we've been spoiled by these, you know, longer cruiserweight matches with a lot more heat. And I, I'm not not really ashamed to say I don't feel like Dean Malenko matches have a lot of heat. Um, it felt a little sloppy in spots. Eddie Guerrero uh, is a stud. Dean Malenko is a really good base for all the cruiserweights, and his stuff looks impeccable. It's just, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't make the news earlier in the week that a robot somehow conceived a baby, because uh, I didn't know that was possible in uh, 1997. Uh, but here we are. So that's that's something cool. That should have been that should have been front page news. Man of a thousand holds. Uh, yeah, it's just it was. I was underwhelmed. I thought this would have been my blow away match of the card. And it wasn't. It wasn't my favorite match by a by a good good portion. Just listen to any WCW show Jeff's been on the last eighteen months, and you can uh, hear more about what Jeff thinks of uh, Dean Malenko. Roy, what do you think good, of this? He's a good wrestler. It's just he needs, you know, a personality Anything. transplant. Yeah, like I can't. I can't even think of every superlative I've used over the, these last years of how. Dull he is. Oh, I almost fell asleep just talking about him. <laughs> a robot conceiving a baby. Oh my god. What would Isaac Asimov think? Um, yeah, I'm always, unlike, uh, unlike our friend Jeff here, I'm always willing to give these two guys and cut them a lot of slack because I'm such a massive fan of both of them in the ring. Two years ago, their ECW series, in my opinion, revolutionised the business in North America. Their first match, in particular their first televised match in May 1995, should have won your 1995 match of the year. Not Al Snow Benoit and not uh, Wrestling against Anderson Silver, although I do like them both. Anyway, I've only been around for two months at that point. But yes, so at the same time, because of that, we have to hold these two up to fairly high standards, and I don't think they really achieved them. They were, Milenko especially, were kind of sleepwalking through this one, I thought. There were some big, tremendous spots, Bob, as you've rightly said. The power bombs in here were stiff as fuck and it all but made the ring shake and the crowd were just there with every single one of them. I was too. But they did seem to be meandering from spot to spot. And the leg work, which eventually did play to the finish, I liked it. But that form of rather obvious psychology, that's the sort of thing you bring into a match with two lesser workers to try to give themselves and the crowd something to latch onto. Well, these two don't really need those sort of gimmicks. They can just go out there and have a 15-minute clinic and they can let the psychology take care of itself. See, on a better day when Malenko you know, hadn't just been flown in on a red eye at the 11th hour, he might have been a bit more up for it. So by sheer force of personality at what these two are capable of, I mean, these two are 70% better than 95% of guys on their best day. Still good, but still good from these guys is a disappointment. Yeah, um, a decent way to open the show. Um, whether Malenko kind of coming off on what you'd call in the, in baseball at least short rests, whether him coming off of you know his wife just giving birth to a child and all that affected a bit. I don't know. Um, the action was was nice. Um, both of these guys are capable of a lot more. It just didn't quite work. They didn't. They didn't wrestle a style of match I think was right, but also they just didn't get what they tried right either, which just doesn't help. Um, yes, big fan of the power bombs. I like that. The crowd at this point, at least, were very into most of the things they were doing. 
Um, and a clean victory. Um, yes, disappointment, I think, just because we, we can expect a lot more, or we would expect a lot more from them. Um, you know, probably still the best match of the night. Scott Hall comes out. He's here for a survey, I think. There's a lot of booing, and a lot of people came here to see WCW. A mix of booing and violent cheering, as he says, are you here to see WCW? Uh, a fairly even split, uh, he said, sorry, fairly even split, but loud on both sides. Hall claims it was a win anyway. He breaks the news that Kevin Nash isn't here, which gets the sigh. He wants the referee to come out and award Giant the match. He then starts mocking Giant, and Giant walks to the ring, who has no cast on his hand. Giant says he'll be in professional wrestling for a while, so his time with Nash will come. Hall gets impatient, flicks his toothpick, gets a headbutt from Giant and a big press slam. He shakes with a choke slam, but in the end changes his mind and continues continuing tonight's theme of bloody good power bombs, hits a big one on Hall. Um uh, Rory was you know, would it have just made more sense to do Hall and Giant? Was this good? I d I don't know. But I guess I had to address it somehow. Yeah, um, in an ideal world from this situation with Nash pulling out, you would have done Hall v Giant, especially as we see Hall again taking yet more bumps in a match a bit later on. But I think they probably just about covered it right. It gave the crowd something to cheer, something that at this stage they really wanted to be able to cheer. And I did really like the Giants line that if, if I was facing me, I wouldn't want to be. I would, if I was up against, if I was signed to face me. I wouldn't want to face me either. He said it a lot more clearly than I did. But um, uh, I, I hope we do get, I always can't believe I'm saying this, I hope we do actually get National Giants at some point because uh, I'm intrigued by it. I think the build has been excellent. But some um, uh, indigestion is a, is a killer, isn't it? But yeah, it was fine. Hall took his bumps like a champ. Crowd got to cheer. It was okay. But, of course, we're still only one from zero for heels at the moment. Jeff. Yeah, I made a note uh, from the Observer's presumptive Starcade match listing, and it uh, the big the big matches were presumably a couple weeks out: Hogan versus Sting, Flair versus Hedig in a cage, Bischoff versus Abisko, Malenko versus Guerrero versus Ray in a three-way, and Giant Nash. Those were the big ones, with the possibility of Luger and Savage or something with with Savage. Um, Going into this, I thought the build for Nash Giant, which was the Battle of the Giants, was probably the second most anticipated match for me, even though neither of these guys is Bret Hart in the ring. It doesn't really matter because I'm here to see, you know, two big giants do one move. Um, this almost feels like the the equivalent of the old pa- Battle of the Power Bombs or the Masters of the Power Bombs when they had Sid versus Vader built up forever and then Sid had the unfortunate incident with Arn Anderson that never really uh, came to fruition with Vader. But um, to do the bait and switch and not even give a match and you have the other outsider there who wasn't booked on the card, I feel like as a fan who paid to see the potential w, uh, WCW's WrestleMania, their their biggest show ever, they ripped you off by not giving you even a glimmer of a big match to replace the big match. And I that's that's a, that was the first of many big letdowns. And it's not like I love watching Kevin Nash matches, but I was looking forward. They did such a good job hyping us. And they just kind of felt like, you know, we got your money already, so keep watching. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, an awkward situation. You know, maybe Nash did have problems. Like, it's... 
we're right to be cynical, but it's difficult to be that confident with something like this. Um, yes, just an unsatisfactory conclusion, I think we can say definitively. Whether this was a good execution and everything, I don't know. You know, Hall, we talk about Hall being cool, it doesn't help that he seems to be the, you know, the, the main event whipping boy of the NWO, which isn't ideal for someone that really could be the, the breakout guy of the group if they want to do that. I mean, he's got a title shot against somebody in February. Um, you know, it's not not perfect, but, you know, circumstances are what they are, um, you know, and it is it is difficult. But, again, it is, it, it's got everyone loses in this situation. I think basically is the point. We all, we all lose. The audience loses. Jart loses out on a big match. Nash loses out on a big match. I suppose he wins if he doesn't have to get pinned by him, I suppose. Um, but that's about it. Anyway. We got next to Scott Norton, Vincent and Randy Savage versus Ray Trader and the Steiner Brothers, Rick and a short-haired Scott with Ted DiBiase. There's a great moment during the intros where Vincent gets near the camera, mouths too sweet but tries to modify the for life gesture while he says it, which looks really stupid and uncool. We talk about we talk about a lack of coolness and uh, Vincent is uh, pretty much it in the NWO. We start with Savage and Scott, they're starving each other up. They exchange slaps and Scott gets kneed in the back by Norton and Savage goes to work. Scott runs at Norton, Norton drops him with a fall away slam, then a backbreaker. Scott hits a double on the hook powerbomb, then a gorilla press slam. Everything then breaks down. Rick hits a power slam on Norton. Trey then runs over to Norton with a right. Vincent comes off the ropes. Trey to catch him with a big spine buster. Vincent gets ragdolled by the baby faces. Scott DDTs Vincent off of the top, but gets broken up. Then hits a massive Frankensteiner off the top. Norton hits an electric chair on Scott. Sarish hits an elbow from the top, and the NWO win. We cut to the way and we read a sign that simply says, Trailer will job for food. Rory? <laughs> Not this time. Um, your enjoyment of this match will be always entirely proportional to whether you look out for clues when people are coming down to ringside. And there are some very prevalent ones here, one in particular. When the babyface team were introduced and Mr. Scott Steiner came down to the ring wearing the most obvious I'm doing the job tonight face you will ever see. He had the <laughs> proverbial face of thunder and so it proved. At least he got to give Virgil that frankly terrifying top rope DDT thing which how didn't crack the, the poor man's neck. God only knows. Yes, if, if you're going to drag Savage into this sort of non-entity lower card match and Savage has to get the win I guess but uh, despite me not being the world's biggest fan of the Steiners these days as I've said on here before should one of them really be taking the job I mean trailer is expendable and he'll get a good meal out of it so just have him take the elbow he's why are we protecting Ray Trailer for in 1997 match really wasn't much well did Savage only agree to the match if he could pin Scott Steiner why Wasn't that the story? Yes, that, that is correct. That's what we've read, Bob. Yes, but who's Savage to... I mean, I'm no defender of the Steiners, but who is Savage to say that? Well, he's yeah. Randy Savage. Yeah, he's Randy Savage in December 1997 who's running on fumes in the ring and if he doesn't have any bells and whistles and weapons and Liz hitting referees with silver plates, then he hasn't got a whole lot else these days. So... I think it's proverbial ideas by this station there. But anyway, um, this is all about making the heels go to and I love 
And so it proved. Yes, Vincent looked like an absolute idiot. So yes, nothing new there then. Jeff, I could not disagree with Rory Moore. Randy Savage is arguably the third or fourth biggest star in WCW. Uh, he but what is, was he doing not in a bigger match then? That I, I, I agree with. I'll, I'll at least give you that. I think the idea is with Savage, I think it's a dates issue, to be honest, because I know he wasn't booked because his his asking price is pretty high. And when you're already paying Hogan and you're paying Sting and you've got Bret Hart and you've got, I mean, you've got all of the main eventers, um, you know, except for basically The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels now uh, under one roof and Stone Cold Steve Austin, but... Um, that's only because Bret Hart made him, by the way. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, but you, you have Randy Savage. I, as For me, I thought while he was a non-entity and a do-nothing throwaway six-man, I felt ripped off that Nash wasn't there. Uh, I didn't really care that Conan wasn't there, but I did perk up when Randy Savage came out. I think you could hear the pop when Randy Savage came out because he is still a big star. Let's not forget that while the NWL really did help turn around WCW business, those Flair Savage buy rates and house shows were things that started to turn the tide in the positive for WCW. Savage is still a big deal. He does need some bells and whistles, but he's still flying off the top rope a lot more than anybody else in his station. Uh, he's a former world champion with Vince and has that main event level uh, stigma associated with him from the 80s. He can still go relative to his contemporaries like Piper and, and Hogan. I think, honestly, I think he was uh, he was well within his means to say, I want to beat the most over guy in this match. If I'm going to be in this match, I want to be, you know, the show, pay me, and I'll do it. Um, I actually enjoy this match better than I thought I would have. I love the Steiners. I, I, I love my memories of the Big Boss Man and Big Bubba. So I appreciate Ray Trailer, even if he'll job for food. He's he's earned that. Uh, big Scott Norton guy. I love my hosses. So Vincent was the odd man out, and uh, they treated him like that by suplexing and Steiner linering and. Frankensteinering and Steinerized DDT implanting him throughout the ring. I uh, It was a n- nothing match, although the main event of WrestleMania 4 was present because it was Mr. DiBiase versus Mr. Savage. Um, so we had that little uh, trivia note, trivial tri- trivia note, and uh, both Virgil and Miss Elizabeth were there as well that night, so uh, now you know. I thought it was okay. I like seeing Scott Steiner, who totally had his I'm doing a job face on. Uh, he's a spectacular um, character, and both him and Rick, I feel, are just – they're two guys. Like If I if you said pick somebody to walk home in a, you know, in a back alley with, after Ming and Barbarian, it's the Steiners. And I think uh, they, have, they have a cool factor that maybe speaks more to my taste and personality, but uh, I, really, I really dig the Steiners, so I didn't, I didn't mind this match. You picked Jeff, uh, Jeff Hart, fucking hell. You picked Bret Hart for that? Oh, I fucked up the joke now. It doesn't work. All right, Carol. The, I'm sorry, joke. Jeff Hart? Jeff when was, Hart. When I was a little kid, my character was Jeff the Hit Kid Hart. Right. Okay. You wouldn't pick Bret Hart to do the walking through the back alley thing? You, you, you wouldn't trust him to kind of work the leg of the mugger while you run off? Oh, Bret, Bret, <laughs> Bret Hart has integrity. He is the sheriff. I would not be. I would not be in a place that is so lowly with Bret Hart because he is a man of the people. 
I want somebody who's going to be down and dirty. He's going to fight me. He's going to pull eyeballs out and bite noses. I'm taking Ming. If I want to run for mayor, I want to be endorsed by the greatest, and that's Bret Hart. But if I want to fight, you go with Ming. I take it, like, isn't Vincent the guy that will actually job for food? Like, you know, him and Jim Neidhart w- would be more appropriate for that side. Not that Ray tries far. Anyway, shit jokes aside, apologies. Really? Um, shit jokes. Y- yeah. Yeah, I-, I bet he did the Brett thing just to annoy Rory these days, to be fair. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it was all right. What it, um, I think Randy Savage in this match was a net improvement, um, you know, because I-, I think Conan could go away and nothing much would be lost. Um, but. Yeah, like, this this was okay. Um, you know, just a random six-man tag with not much riding on it. Um, you know, it was a Randy Savage squash match, wasn't it? And Scott Steiner was kind of the victim. It was fine. Um, nothing much was gained. Nothing much was lost, I think. Uh, anyway, Minjin Oakland is on the R-way with J.J. Dillon. Dillon says both Hogan and Sting have an interest in to who will be refereeing the main event. He says Nick Patrick has been drawn to do the job and he has no doubt in his abilities. Next up, it's Bill Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. They start brawling in the R-way. We quickly get into the ring and the crowd flatten out. There's a table props up against the ring post. Nothing of note so far. Mongo comes off of the top. Goldberg misses with the right arm, but I'm not sure that it matters. He then rolls through into a nice leg lace. That was nice. Goldberg runs him over with a shoulder tackle, then hits a spear, but pulls out of the pin at two. Robert grabs, Goldberg grabs the table, then unfolds it on the floor. They do a fair bit of dallying by the table before Goldberg just shoves Mongo through it. A mild ECW chat goes up. Mongo can't get him up for the pile driver. Goldberg hits the jackhammer and wins. Jeff? Uh, it was a fun horse fight. I don't think you can expect anything technical from either of these two guys uh goldberg looks like an action figure and mongo is his mongo he's just he looks like a, a crazy man uh which I, by all accounts he kind of is um for for the relative experience in the ring it was just two guys probably hitting each other with a ton of live rounds it wasn't as bad as it could have been roy well i thought this pretty much sucked so there you go um is it me, or has Mongo actually regressed in the ring slightly over the last few months? No, he's just working with people that aren't Chris Benoit. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, he wasn't there with the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin Green, not so long ago, so um, uh, anything's going to be a step down after that. Uh, yes, this just had a lot of things which I don't want to see from these two guys. This should have been a hoss fight with them throwing bombs at each other, but that didn't really happen. I mean, I'm not sure what we've seen of Bill Goldberg so far. Okay, you might have learned how to do a leg lace in the power plant, and it's all very nice, and it looked pretty impressive. Not sure I really want to see that from him, though. I just want to see him go in there and, you know, tear guys limb from limb from the stomach down. Spear jackhammer bobs your uncle. This match also did not need the table spot. That was there for no reason whatsoever. It was never explained, just to get 20 people to chant ECW. Uh, Again, why? What's Steve McMichael got to do with ECW, baby? And... That was it, really, and Mongo doesn't know how to take the spear properly. At least the right person won, and I never want to talk about this much ever again. Yeah, um, I've said my bit about this quite-unquote feud. It never made any sense, and putting a, a guy as green as Goldberg alongside a guy as green as Michael never made any sense either. 
Um, and this is exactly the match I would have expected from them. Uh, the right guy won. It wasn't particularly long. It was. It could have been a lot worse. Um, and yeah, it was a decisive victory. Is about as as much as I can praise this match. We'll move on. It's Perry Saturn versus Chris Benoit. Well, it, it would have been Benoit and Raven, but uh, Raven said he's up wrestling. His knee's still not fully uh, working. Raven tries to distract Benoit and gives Saturn a head start, but it doesn't work. Saturn hits a big overhead suplex and gains control. Benoit fights off interference from Kippen, but Sarish takes advantage. Sick Boy gets involved and Kippen hits a ridiculous running shooting star press off the apron, which got a shocking lack, lack of crowd reaction. Saturn hits a neck break at mid-ring and then runs up the ropes and hits a moonsault. Benoit sort of gets his knees up. A sunset flip from Benoit, followed by a clothesline that sees both men go down. Saturn goes to the top, Benoit follows him up and just throws him onto the apron. After a missed baseball slide, Benoit puts in a crippler crossface, but the entire flock just engulfs Benoit. Saturn goes for an apron moonsault, but Benoit moves as he wipes out the flock. Benoit hits a massive diving headbutt, then has to fight off the flock. There's a big pot for a potential confrontation between him and Raven, but Van Hammer blindsides him. Raven hits the DDT. Saturn puts in the rings of Saturn, and Benoit submits. Rory? Yeah, still not sure what I think about this feud, really. Um, it's been going on now for a few weeks, just predicated on the sole fact that Chris Benoit wants to face Raven, and Raven doesn't want to face Chris Benoit. Not sure how many more drops they can squeeze out of it, but they've got they've got to pay per view at least. And I've got to say though, if you're not going to put him in with Raven, do definitely put him in with one of the better workers in the flock, and Saturn is certainly that. And they did have a good back and forth match with some really nice exchanges and some really good sequences. And I just want to pick up on one point there, Bob, about uh, Kidman's flip moonsault off the um, off the apron. Magnificent move. But by its very nature, where it's actually taking place, three quarters of the people in attendance aren't going to see him doing it, which might explain why it gets so little of a reaction. And it's the one flawed, what is a fantastic move. It's probably individually the move of the night. Anyway, one thing I didn't like about this was Benoit is, in both kayfabe and non-kayfabe terms, an absolute psychology master. So would he really be stupid enough to go for the cripple across face on the floor, right in front of where the flock are. Uh, I have to be in a very, very, very charitable mood to let that one slide. But it is December, so for now I will. Yeah, and I don't mind Benoit losing here because I do think he's eventually going to get to Raven. Not sure how good that match will be. But um, that's obviously the end game here. Saturn can go. It's a good win for him. It doesn't hurt Benoit in the slightest. So yeah, it was fine. Jeff? So... Uh, not to knock my favorite and slash the greatest wrestler of all time, Brett the Hitman Hart, um, but it, for my money, I think my fellow Canadian Chris Benoit is the current uh, best pure in-ring talent in North America today and possibly the world. Uh, everything he does is just, it looks like it's a shotgun. Like his chops, his suplexes, his his bumps, his selling, everything is so... Ferocious. I lo- I just. I am. I am more invested in his intensity and in his matches, even though they're mid card, do nothing, throwaway stuff, than anyone else aside from Brett. Brett, I think, has the storytelling and the psychology that's 
unparalleled. I've heard Nick Bockwinkel in his day was equal, but, um, you know, I just, I think the world of, of Brett's psychology, but as an athlete and as a ferocious competitor, Benoit has me buying every single thing he does. And where is he on this card? Is he going after the NWO for revenge for all that happened to the horsemen? No, he's cutting a lame promo that made me cringe and just wish he had Arn Anderson cutting promos for him before the match. And then he had a match where it was one on six because apparently the horsemen aren't together anymore. And he just had a, a solid, you know, stiff little match with Saturn. Saturn's a, a decent, decent enough talent. But really it was, it just feels like a waste. It feels like if, if this Thursday night WCW program can accomplish anything, I hope, and Brett, Brett said this in a, in the promo. I don't know if it was the week before or the week after Starcade, but he said how much he wants to test himself against the best. And he specifically singled out one of the names was Chris Benoit. And I feel like this is the guy who feels special to me. I would pay money to see him. And here he is fighting Sick Boy and Van Hammer and the kid that scratches himself all the time. Like, it's just, you know, one-eyed Scotty Riggs. Uh, it feels like a waste. I'm disappointed, but I just love to watch this guy wrestle. Yeah, it is a big waste. Um, you know, the flock could be something. Um, I think they're they're a lot better than the sum of their collective parts. Um, but Chris Benoit is the kind of guy that someone should have said, yeah, this is the guy we need to stick away up the card. I know it's pretty busy at the top, but like I've kind of said this before about Eddie Guerrero, I don't know why Lex Luger isn't queuing up to try and wrestle these guys. Well, if I, perhaps I do. You know, I don't know why a lot of the big names aren't queuing up to try and wrestle these guys. Um, that's so, so good. And perhaps the reason they don't want to is that you, you don't want to, you know, don't be at work and give, give an opportunity to a guy that's far better than you. Don't do that. Um, yeah, but this is a bit of a waste. The flock thing is what it is, as I say. Like, it's it's a better use of Van Hammer than just Van Hammer, the singles wrestler, I suppose. Um, but that really is where the praise ends. The match was okay. As you say, watching Benoit do stuff really, really well isn't going to get boring that quickly. Um, but he could potentially do a lot more, and that's probably my my single biggest issue with all of this. Um, Move on next to Buff Bagwell versus Lex Luger, or as Bagwell calls him during his walkout, Lex Loser. We get a big tie to begin with as Luger spits in Bagwell's face. Luger picks up Bagwell and press slams into the map before sending him over the top. Bagwell bails up the R way and gets met by Vincent and they return to ringside. They fight around ringside, not much going on as Bagwell fights for control. He takes control, jumping onto Luger's back, he then charges into the corner, but runs into a big boot and then gets mowed down by a right arm. Just what the match needed, a long rest hold. Then another. Bagwell matches do have a tendency to feel like they've taken half an hour. They rally into a sleeper hold. Bagwell hits a standing splash, but Luger gets his knees up and then hits a back body drop. Luger signals for the rack, hits a pair of atomic drops. Signals again, the crowd come alive, and he doesn't actually seem to want to do it. Vincent gets on the top rope, and Luger lawn darts him across the ring into Bagwell. We get a ref bump, Luger hits a power slam, then finally racks Bagwell, but the ref's out. Out runs Savage, Luger press slams him, and then he racks Savage. Out comes Norton, Norton levels Luger with a Rick Stein, a dog-style dog collar. He dumps Bagwell onto Luger, the ref comes to, and counts the three. Jeff? 
Yeah, I, I think Buff Bagwell is an interesting character. He he kind of has a cool factor, and as a personality, he exudes a bit of of something special that stands out. I always think that he's a character that Vince could do something really special with because he's got that body and uh, and some charisma. Once the bell rings, he's got a cool finish, and that's about it. And he's good at posing. Um, I think if you put him in there with the right guys, like a, a Benoit or, or you know the the workers in the company, I think he he can get a lot better, or at least the perception of him can get a lot better. But when you put him in there with Lex Luger, who has clearly reached reached the limits of his his uh, his skill set, I just I was totally lost. And you, and you brought up the the chin headlock type spots. It's just. This is their. This is supposed to be their biggest pay per view ever, and I'm watching this match and just run ins and and goofy stuff. And my biggest note to this match was Lex Luger's hair looks like the driest bale of hay I've ever seen, and it's just his presentation is so stale at this point, and it's it's just a he's such a miraculous physical specimen, but. There's nothing special about this guy, and I guess you could say that for the last decade, which is why he's never gotten to where people have, have thought he should be, but I, I felt like this was a waste of uh, time. Roy? It was indeed 16 minutes and 36 seconds of time, to be precise. Wow. My God, the longest match of the night and the longest match I've ever seen in my life. Just who and why and how, quite frankly. Bagwell is a decent enough worker. He's got a decent, if rather generic, character. He's decent in the ring. He's decent on the mic. He's decent. He can't carry a guy. And he sure as hell can't carry a guy like Luger, who, as we say here in the UK, just cannot be arsed anymore. I don't think I've, ever since he dropped the title in August, I've never seen a run of more unmotivated performances from Luger. And he's still in fairly prominent roles. He's been on pretty much, I think, on every pay-per-view. He's got... Okay, admittedly a bit of a placeholder feud here with Bagwell, but he's still being paid a fair bit of attention. But he is offering absolutely nothing. And yes, he should not be going 16 minutes in December 1997. On that one, I'll, 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 I'll give him that one. But I mean, come on, man. What we got towards, finally got towards the end of this shit show, and he's putting Savage in the rack. He didn't even remotely look like he was hurting him. He was just lightly balancing him on his shoulders. And I know you say, yes, it's the person taking the move that makes it look devastating. I might have ragged on Savage earlier, but when he's just being laid on a, on a flat horizontal line, there's only so much selling he can actually do. So I just thought it was ludicrous. I, the ending was unintentionally comic after all the million run-ins. Scott Norton gets a dog collar. Right, okay. And then he wakes Billy Silverman up by lightly tapping him on the, uh, lightly tapping him on the cheek. Yeah, okay then. Uh, so, yes, and we are now 5-0 for the heels against uh, the baby faces. And this was um, uh, the biggest, i.e. worst one of the night. So um, we are sparring down the Chiefs fast here. Yeah, um, it was 16 minutes. It felt like a lot longer. Um, you know, for all of both of these guys' upsides, they're both quite different, but they both, they're both guys you'd want around, I think. You know, they both seem to have things that are above the average, certainly from a character standpoint. Or a the average testosterone level, right? Is that what you mean? Well, that, well I wasn't really going with that, but, you know, they're above average from that, certainly. Um, but more in terms of, you know, Luger's popular and Bagwell seems to have a bit of charisma about it. They're both useful. Um, they're both really... Useful of anabolic steroids, right, Bob? 
Yeah, I wasn't really going there, but yes, okay. we can we, we can add the undertone to this whole discussion. They this are is both my a bit heart character, Bob. Yes, this, despite them both being a bit inflated, <laughs> they're both really boring in the ring. Like really boring. Like Bagwell's got that nice finisher off the top rope. The um, I was going to call it the chart buster, but that's uh, that's this guy Inferno. Blockbuster, that's it. Where he does, the, he, he does the kind of the neck breaker, diamond cutter, float over move, which you know, if you can get in the right position for it, is a really nice move. Um, Lucas popular, the rack's over. Um, but the other fifteen minutes that doesn't involve either guy trying to finish the match is a bit shit. Um, and this was a bit shit, and it was like, they did they did some stuff early on, wasn't very good, rest hold, rest hold, rest hold, rest hold, for what felt like about ten minutes, it was only about three or four, but it felt like forever, and then they, they kind of just, you know, they kind of just carry on, um, and I, I don't know, um, Jeff, what were you going to say about Rick Steiner? Yeah, they they kind of were a little sly on the finish with the like questioning where Scott Norton got the dog collar and is that is that Rick Steiner's and there was just the the slightest of slight uh, comments that they're they're thinking it's maybe that Rick gave him the the collar. I, I noticed it in the newsletters as well. That they were kind of intimating that, so that's something to look into down the line that maybe Rick Steiner and the Steiners might be going somewhere. Yeah, um, th- there's a lot of very macro storylines that WCW can't get right. I'm not willing to give them that much credit for this. Um, also, like, why would Norton need the dog collar to interfere in the match? Couldn't use anything else? Um, you know, again, I- I'm not going to lose sleep over the uh, the direction of that part of the storyline, but it is an interesting note, uh, if, uh, if nothing else. Roy, if I come to you on this match, I think I have... I'm afraid you have, yes. Yes, but uh, with, uh, with that, let's move on. Uh, Kurt Henning is up next against Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW United States title. Page goes for a quick roll-up, but nothing's doing. Shakes for Diamond, cuts but Henning blocks it and escapes to the floor. Page takes it down to the mat with a headlock. Henning rallies in the corner. He snaps Page's neck off of the top rope. Henning runs over Page with a lariat. They start slugging while standing up, and Page hits a slingshot of sorts to the floor. We go into the crowd, then back into the ring as Page crotches Henning on the ring post. Page goes for a diamond cutter. Henning blocks it by holding onto the ropes and almost picks up the win. Page blocks the Henning plex, then seems to shape for a cross face, but Henning slides out. Page has a float over, hits a diamond cutter, and wins the match and the title. A big pop from an otherwise flat crowd. Rory? Yeah, this was probably the most successful match of the night, and if the stars had aligned that this would have been what Starcade 97 really could have been. You have a big popular babyface who was absolutely motivated for this match. He threw himself into everything, Paige. I mean, I know you're all almost always guaranteed big effort for him these days, but he, by his standards, he was just on here, and he gets to win a big championship against somebody who has put in, let's say, fitful performances over the last six months. He's had some good matches, Henning. He's had some ones we won't talk about. This was somewhere in the middle. Page pretty much controlled the entire thing as well, which I found really interesting. And I loved the finish. Talk about the, the diamond cut can hit you so many ways. I didn't actually even see it coming. 
Now, when he went into a float over off the ropes, I thought, what's he going to do here? Float over DDT or something? No, whoops, it straight into a diamond cutter that you couldn't see the joint. I thought that was great. And big pop for somebody who has had, I think, an excellent year. And has got a real affinity with the crowd at a time where it's a bit difficult to actually garner that without having all sorts of other trinkets and baubles. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but I just wonder if now you would have maybe done better to open the show with this, or at least put it a bit quite lower down the card. I don't think it hurts Paige or Hennig or the US Heavyweight Championship if you have a big babyface moment like this a bit early on in the show to really keep the crowd ramped up. Because otherwise, Bob, as you said, the crowd were pretty flat at this point. If you get them on that high level and you're dropping things like this throughout the show, even if you are going to have the heels go over in five of the eight matches, then you keep the crowd on the level so they're ready to take it into the stratosphere for the main event. But yes, the match was probably no real better than serviceable, but I'm happy with that with Paige. He just, I get such joy watching Diamond Dallas Page in the ring because he puts in maximum effort, and I just think he loves this stuff. Jeff, 100% agree. Um, if you told me two years ago that I would somehow be compelled and engaged and care about Diamond Dallas Page matches, I'd have punched you in the nose. Um, I think Bob and I did a solo WCW pay-per-view where Page won the Battle Bowl or the King of Cable ring. It was some weird tournament where he beat, like, the Barbarian. And it was the deadest of dead matches. And to see this guy hustle and refine himself into, as they call the people's champion, uh, and actually connect and exude just charisma and work ethic and passion, it, it comes across. This was the best match of the night for me, even though Kurt Hennig didn't even have his working boots on. Like, this wasn't prime Kurt Hennig. This was prime Dallas Page, and it worked. I was, I gave a damn. I, you know, I, I like cheering the bad guys, and I love Mr. Perfect, but I was rooting for DDP. So that's a, that's a testament and a, 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 an endorsement to just how much Dallas Page has improved, how much his overall character has, has gotten over, and, and good on him. Like, he's had a great year, and if there's one guy that I think outside of Sting has really been a, a breakout superstar in, in the in the politicized Hogan world, it's it's Paige. I just I can't say enough nice things about a guy who a year and a half ago I wouldn't say a nice thing about. So, uh, yeah, the match was a match, but for me, the crowd cared, so I cared. And uh, that's all that really – Pro wrestling doesn't necessarily have to be about a thousand high spots. It's just emotions and passions and page. I just, man, praise page. Speaking of changes, this car, this was meant to be Ric Flair and uh, Kurt Henning. It was probably a bit of an improvement that it wasn't, which does seem a weird thing to say about a guy like Flair. I wasn't quite on, as hard on this match as you guys were. Um, you know, I, I, I like the ending. There were some nice set pieces. You know, the finish was good, and Henning block, blocking the the diamond cutter and kind of you know doing his best to try and stop it was the uh, was some really smart storytelling. Um, I just don't think, well, in Henning's case anymore, or Page's case, full stop. I don't think either of these guys are particularly brilliant to watch in the ring. Um, they're both quite good storytellers, which is half of the battle. Um, and as I say, this match had a lot going for it. I just don't think it was that memorable. Um, I think the, the the crowd kind of 
sum that up too. They weren't really into it. Um, but we got down the stretch and we got near the finish and it was a clear victory for Paige, which people are always going to like. Um, a very nice set piece for the for the finish as well. Um, yeah, a thumbs up, but a qualified one, I, I would say. I don't think this was a, a great match, but, you know, it's... It's nice to you know, we talk about nitros where you know they, they've done this match on nitro before and others like it. Every big heading match ends with interference. This one mysteriously didn't for, for reasons that no one will ever explain. But there we go. Anyway, we got to the semi main event. It's Eric Bischoff with Scott Hall versus Larry Zabisco with special guest referee Bret Hart in a match for the control of Monday Nitro. Bischoff's gear is quite the sight. He looks so thin. The crowd get a bigger Larry Larry chant going. It's like an MMA style start as Bischoff kind of connects with a jab and celebrates it as they're both otherwise scaring off. More shaping. Bischoff closes in, but Zabisco lands a slap. Bischoff connects with a kick and Larry goes down. Zabisco charged at Bischoff in the corner and gets some shots in. Larry grabs a hold of the hair. Brett admonishes Zabisco twice. They kind of try to tell the story that Brett might turn heel during this match. That's the sort of one reason this is about as close as they get. Bischoff collapses through the ropes to the floor. He regains control in the ring and unleashes a barrage of terrible-looking kicks, or as he would call them on commentary, back-leg round kicks. Bischoff may have actually blown up, but they're also telling the story that Larry's rope-a-doping him. Zabisco throws a suplex, then puts Bischoff in a tree of woe. Brett wrestles Zabisco clear. Hall then attaches a metal plate of sort to Bischoff's boot. Bischoff goes to throw the kick. The plate goes flying miles out of shot. It doesn't. It kind of comes loose before he even connects. Zabisco goes down like he's been shot anyway. Brett then floors Bischoff. He then gets into a fight with Hall, which gets a big pop. He then puts Hall in the sharpshoot, which gets a bigger pop, and Hall taps out. Zabisco chokes out Bischoff. Brett raises Zabisco's hand. A win by disqualification, I think. In my notes, I put, even with the ad-lib, couldn't they just have uh, Zabisco pin Bischoff cleanly? Rory. Thanks. Um, okay, Rob, where to, where to begin with this one? Um, oh, God almighty. Yeah, um, my heart sank. Not that it was in a particularly high place at the start of this match, but when... You just see the words special referee, Brett Hart, and he's there trying to look happy about it in his black t-shirt and his jeans, and he's slapping a couple of hands. I'm like, really? Is, is that where we are now? <sighs> Poor soccer. The match, yes. Okay, the match. <sighs> I read a lot after this match that people thought it was ridiculous that Larry had to sell Bischoff's punches and back leg round kicks. I'm just disappointed that Bischoff didn't give us any 180 headbutts or moonsaults, if you will. And yes, it was ridiculous, but unless you're going to book the match as a total one-sided massacre, which I don't think was ever going to be the case anyway, but for the match to mean anything, Zabisco had to sell Bischoff's offense, didn't he? And that then really poses absolutely the alternative question, why book the bloody match in the, in the first place? And to that one, I've really got no answer. It just meandered around. Larry Z didn't look like he'd win a fight with anybody. And even if... This is not the last time I'll be saying this tonight. But even if the ending had come off as planned, it still would have been a bit of a disaster. Because it was obviously booked for Zabisco to win by some kind of stoppage. 
would it have been any better if Bishop had connected with that metal kick thing? And then a minute later, after Brett puts Hall in the sharpshooter, he sees Larry choking out Bischoff and then decides to give him the win by virtue of that, or I presume is disqualification. No, I don't think it would be, but that visual is going to live me for a very long time. Bischoff goes to the kick and that piece of metal flies out of the ring and there's Brett just watching it go, much like it was his, I don't know, his career flying before his eyes or something like that. But yes, match was of course little short of a disaster. But, I almost can't believe I'm saying this, the right person did win. Parity is restored. And I hope Bischoff and Adidas Abisco do think twice about getting in the ring again. But now I realise that super-duper babyface Larry Abisco is up against Scott Hall next month. Oh, joy. Jeff? I don't think it was a complete, unmitigated disaster. Um... I mean, I think I think the best part of the match was probably uh, when Zabisco, Zabisco, when uh, Bischoff's metal flask or whatever was in his loaded boot flew out because the visual was kind of funny because you just see it just plummeting into the crowd. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? It's a guy who, even as a worker in his best day, wasn't that great versus a non-wrestler. Scott Hall did some funny facial expressions outside. The physical altercation with Brett was great. I hope Brett's checks are clearing because that's that's the main plus side for Brett in this match. Um, I thought it was really stupid that uh, that they didn't have a cohesive finish like a pinfall or a submission because that would be something that a match usually would have as a finish. Uh, which they didn't get here. I didn't get, if it's a non-wrestler, why they just didn't go blood and guts style and just have him gig like Andy Kaufman or some of the ECW stuff with Bill Alfonso where they just, they know it's a total schmoz from the get-go. It's a non-wrestler, so why don't we just do total smoke and mirrors because the stuff looks see-through from Bischoff. Zabisco uh, looks like somebody's dad. Um, (laughs) I just... It could have been a it could have been a lot worse given that it was a non wrestler, but for the culminate event of your biggest pay per view ever, that's a really terrible sign. And you just have Bret Hart coming off of the most controversial match maybe in wrestling modern wrestling history, and here he is just acting kind of like a goof, as Rory said in jeans and a t shirt, look trying to look happy. Like this is this is a waste of talent on so many levels. Yeah, um, this maybe was as good as you possibly could have expected in some respects. We'll come to the finish in a minute. Um, Did it go along as it should have, perhaps? But it was the kind of match that probably, given the the theoretical stakes, couldn't necessarily be over quickly. Um, Bischoff, he wasn't the only guy in this show, looked a bit thin. Uh, which didn't help. Um, and some of his offence was really wank. Um, yeah. Some of his offence, yeah, okay. Well, as in, there was some of it that may have been wank by design, as in, <laughs> like, the, the whole kind of, oh, Bischoff's gassing, you know, Zabisco's kind of drawing him in, yeah, yeah, this, Bischoff blowing up, this is all part of the plan. Um, you know, maybe there was that. 
but you know the crowd were reasonably into it I don't know I, I guess just the, the bigger point here is the match with such high stakes should not have been a comedy match and when it's Bischoff against Larry Zabisco it's a comedy match that did not help um, the finish was pretty special I mean, it's, again, it, you know, as you kind of say, it's the thing where even if this comes off, this is a really bad idea. Um, and the fact that Hall seemed to attach the steel plate to the bottom of Bischoff's boot, and then Bischoff tried to kick him with his shin, which didn't really make sense. But as he tried to do that, this metal plate just goes flying off off screen for miles. Um, and yeah, they just didn't really weren't really able to work around the finish. So. In the end, and uh, you know, in the end, like Brett just beats them up for a bit, and then just raises Bisco's hand. I don't know why he didn't just, you know, knock out, um, knock out Bischoff, and then let let the let the pin him. Um, that would at least been a slightly more satisfactory for uh, for a big match. It, it it was a bit of a letdown. Um, in yeah, some just, uh, respects. Just quickly before we come back, I think you just to build on what you mentioned. This was a comedy match, wasn't it? If you take out the stipulations, this is the sort of thing you would have seen at uh, Uncensored 95, not Starcade 97. Yes. But Uncensored 95 was fun. Yeah, that's kind of my point. It didn't feel serious enough for something which the whole existence of Monday Night Show was at stake for, even if everything had come off, and that's my biggest problem with it. And we move on to the main event. It is Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the WCW World Heavyweight title. There he played the child talking from the Clash in August and Nick Patrick is our referee. Hogan lobs his bandana at Sting. Sting slaps him back and he looks a bit thin. There was, there was reasons for thought of Sting just walked out. Um, a lot of people did think he might rappel down from the ceiling. Um, and uh, Dave Meltzer mentioned it, and I wonder whether he just someone said this, but he did say there was a, a thought, at least from small chunks of the crowd, that it might not even be the real sting, at least not to begin with. Anyway, after a tie-up, Sting lands a shot for a pop. We get Big Hogan, such chance. Hogan goes him, calls him a hero. He's all over Sting so far. Sting lands a drop kick and sends Hogan to the floor. Another couple of drop kicks sends Hogan back to the floor. Hogan hits a suplex, Sting those sells it, and finally starts showing a bit of aggression. Sting goes for a big Stinger splash on the outside, but Hogan gets out of the way and Sting smashes into the guardrail. Hogan hits a big boot and then cuts the ear to three sides. He then drops the leg. Patrick counts to three and Hogan wins. Okay. I'll explain yeah, a little bit of that. You haven't worked that out already in a bit. We cut straight to Bret Hart, wherever he came from. He says this isn't happening again. What isn't? Bret calls for a restart. Sting hits a big stinger splash in the corner, fights off Norton and Bagwell. Hits a second stinger splash, then puts on the Scorpion Deathlock. Hogan submits, Brett calls the bell, and the crowd explodes, and the ring fills with WCW wrestlers as Sting celebrates. So essentially, the, the plan they'd come up with, at least the idea at the time, was that Hogan was going to do the big bootleg drop combo, and then Nick Patrick, even though he has been non-NWO for a long time now, was basically going to do a fast count. Um, with the idea that, you know, Sting would, would kick out, but Patrick would have done the fast count, and then it'd be an unjust finish. And then Bret Hart would have said, no, this isn't happening again, I'm not letting you do this, not on my watch. And then he would have restarted the match and carried on as they did. The problem, of course, was that for one reason or another, and we can debate the mechanics of what those reasons were, Patrick's count wasn't particularly quick. Now, it was a little bit quicker than normal, slightly. 
Um, but not one that you could denounce as an obvious or over quick fast count. Um, and so Patrick just counts three, slightly faster than normal. Seeing sort of kicks out, not very overtly and not particularly in time. And Hogan wins the match. And then we cut the Bret Hart, who says, this isn't happening again. And you're like, what's not happening again? It's like, Hogan's, Hogan's just won the match. And then they just carry on like normal, and then they go to the finish. Um, uh, yeah, Jeff, what do you think of this? I thought it was 18 months in the making, and the greatest disaster. It was, it was the equivalent of the biggest Hollywood blockbuster bomb of all time in a wrestling ring. Um, everything about this match was executed wrong. From the opening bell, when Sting has waited all of this time to finally get his revenge for WCW, and he waits for Michael Buffer to announce him. And he slowly saunters down to the ring like it's just another match, not his first match. And nothing really special, and he's not going in there to, to, you know, kill Hulk Hogan, and there's not a lot of heat to the match, it's just kind of a, it almost feels like a TV match, and, you know, it's not like Bret Hart's finishing maneuver, the one that he got screwed out of in Montreal, is the same one, kind of, that Sting uses, that they maybe could have figured into the finish, if Hogan didn't want to, you know, lose the pinfall, or if Sting didn't, if they wouldn't want to pin Sting, they could have had it say, like, oh, Eric Bischoff makes the bell, like, Eric Bischoff could have done the Hulk Hogan spot, or the the Vince McMahon spot, I apologize, and said, ring the bell, or whatever. Like, they could have done so many things that were easier, that were handwritten for them. Instead, they just had a 10-minute wrestling match. There was, like, I'm not going to compare this to Bret Hart and Austin at WrestleMania, but... If you have two guys that hate each other, they should go into it and fight like they hate each other. And this match, I felt, needed that level of brawling, you know, to the floor. And, I mean, there was some of that with the Stings. The one spot I liked was Sting missing the splash outside. But, I mean, there's like, this is the time that, that Hogan needs to juice. This is the time that they need to really make it feel violent. And I know there's standards and practices within Turner that Vince doesn't have to deal with, but there were so many things that they could have done right, and they couldn't even count to three correctly. Uh, This Nick Patrick ring count would have been enormously slow in an ECW ring. Um, there was no, there was no glimpse of a fast count, and it was like, oh, Bret Hart's out here, out of, out of nowhere, like, I just, he was at ringside stopping the ring, the, the bell guy to, from ringing the bell, it was like, this is why he should have been the guest enforcer for this match, it should have been something special, instead it was just, and it was at the 10 minute mark, I expected something like, when Warrior and Hogan had WrestleMania 6, there were kickouts, of finishers, and I'm thinking, I see it, and I don't, I don't think the fans in attendance thought that was the finish. They just thought Sting's, you know, he's going to hulk up, and the com- there wasn't even a comeback. It was just everything possibly to undermine your heroes and make Hogan look somehow like the wronged party it happened. Even the presentation of Sting at the end holding this belt with graffiti on it, like they couldn't even have a special belt to hand to him that signified it's a, it's a new beginning. Like, if it had been done right, you could have had the perfect, quote, WrestleMania send-off, payoff, blow-off, and instead you had uh, a botch for the ages 
just this is this is historically stupid. Rory. Oh my goodness gracious me. Okay. <laughs> Sting versus Hogan at Starcade ninety seven. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Alarm bells were ringing quite majorly when, as you rightly say, Sting just walked down to the ring. No fanfare, no airs, no graces, no repelling, no interest. When that was going on, the camera barely even focused on it for most of the time because it picked up, possibly accidentally, what appeared to be a very real conversation taking place in the ring between Hulk Hogan and Nick Patrick. If you go back and watch that conversation they had now, they are clearly not doing so in character. They're clearly just having a chat about something. You know, what they thought of their respective Christmas dinner, perhaps. Or, maybe, Hulk was telling him, after ten minutes of this match, brother, you know what to do, perhaps. I don't know. Call me cynical, if you will. We'll get to that in a second. The match outright sucks again. Because it was booked plain idiotically. This match was booked perfectly four months ago when Lex Luger won the world title from Hogan on Nitro Auburn Hills. That's how you do it. Yes. yes. Six or seven minutes of back and forth between not particularly great workers. Uh, it looks like the babyface is going to get his, his. He manages to fight off the NWO, puts his finish on Hogan, wins the world title, all the babyfaces come in, end of story. But they foolishly blew their load on that with Luger in August. So even if they had got it right again and done that again here with Sting, you're still taking a little bit away from him. I don't think and that would have mattered. No, I don't think anyone time. would have gone, oh, we've done it with Sluger already. I, I, agree, I agree with Rory. I agree with Rory. I thought the same thing. I thought that, that, that they kind of prostituted the finish with Luger earlier. So instead, we had Hogan dominating 90% of the offense, an example of not listening to your crowd. I actually I went back and watched the match again. <laughs> again, you're very welcome. Before the finish and the match was restarted, Sting's total offensive flurry, if you can call it that, was this. Two punches, three drop kicks, and a headlock. The crowd went nuts for all of those. So maybe did nobody stop to think, yeah, hang on, maybe the crowd have come here to watch Sting kick Hogan's ass? And then when Hogan powered out of the headlock, like <laughs> he was a baby face up against Sergeant Slaughter in 1991, it was all over. And then we get to the false finish, which again, even if they had got it right, just just was not needed. That's the sort of thing you do, I know, for a Eddie Guerrero Cruiserweight title match. You know, you don't do that in a match which needs no extras. You don't need to layer this on top. Oh, we've got Bret Hart here now. Oh, he was screwed last month. Let's have another screw job finish. No. And of course, it made it even worse by the fact that Nick Patrick didn't make a fast count there in a thousand years. And yet, and yet, if you are going to go the fast count restart route, then it must be said after that they did get everything pretty much on the money. Okay, I would have had bigger NW names than Norton and Bagwell coming down, but we've already seen a lot of Scott Hall today. Kevin Nash wasn't there. Savage has already played a role. Okay, I can let that go. But I did like Sting showing that fire, hitting with two splashes. I loved the look he gave Brett when he was about to put Hogan in the Scorpion. I thought that said that spoke volumes. There's so much they could go with that over the next year. And the finish was right with Hogan submitting or tapping out, although he actually did neither, in the middle of the ring and all the baby faces coming down to celebrate. So, going the fast count restart route, what they did after that 
was probably okay. I'll let it go. But it should never have been that. You said it yourself, Bob. You'd never get Hogan to agree to this, but it should have just been 30 seconds of thing going in, ducking a punch, big moves, scorpion deathlock, go home, good night. And I know then you'd have some people saying, oh no, but it's a pay-per-view main event, you don't want it to be 30 seconds long. Rubbish. No, nobody bought this pay-per-view to watch Sting and Hogan do their version of Martin Klein versus Alfred Askinainen from the 1912 Olympics. They just wanted to see Sting kill the guy. And again, I go back to what I said in the preamble for this show. They screwed up the other screw upable. How and why? Uh, the, the the big story, the big card of of this entire thing, the the big thing they've built for eighteen months now is that Hogan is scared of Sting. Hogan's not scared of many things. He's capable of brushing off almost everything. But the reason this whole thing has worked, the reason this whole thing has built, is that everything else Hogan's fine with. Okay, he gets beaten by Luger, but he's fine. He can deal with Luger. He can deal with everyone else. But when Hogan sees Sting, he's scared shitless, because he knows that Sting is better than him. That's basically been the one... You know, I was going to say the one single line. It took about a minute to get there. But the one single strand of story that's kept this whole thing going for all this time is that Hulk Hogan is scared of Sting. And he cannot face facing him in a one-on-one situation because he knows Sting will get the better of him. So the match starts. And Hogan's just like, fuck, I'm going to beat shit out of Sting. That, that was the first two-thirds of the match. Exactly. Was Hogan just apparently not being scared of Sting? Like, the enti- like for- forget the fuck finish. Like the entire thing was blown the minute they started off, and Hogan had all this bravado and just started beating him up. Like that was the that was the unticking of the big story here. Was that Hogan? We have been told is scared of Sting for all this time. The match starts, and all of a sudden he's not. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like, it's not like you can't necessarily fashion that pure point into a full match. But the idea would be that Sting would be on top early doors, Hogan would cheat to get his way back into the match. And then once he had Sting at a disadvantage, then he could start wrestling it. Hogan dominating the first two thirds of this match made no sense and belied a lot of the reasons why this story worked. Um, the match itself was really shit. Um, there, there was no drama, really. I'd agree with Jeff. The only, the only main event spot of the match, with the possible exception of the real finish, was Sting. Yeah, the only bit that felt major match event worthy was when Sting missed the splash and smashed into the guardrail. That felt like we don't see that every day, and it helps that we're not in ECW. We don't see that every day. Sting was doing something out of the ordinary, pulling out a stop to try and win the big match. And Hogan got out of the way, and it made a really nice noise, and everyone reacted like that. But the story was kind of a bit flat once Hogan was just on top. It was just another match. Then you get to the finish, and I, I, I kind of come back to what Vader said to Bret Hart a month ago. You know, and in some ways, like, it's hard to feel that sorry for Sting when you when you kind of realise that you're working with Hulk Hogan. You you know what you know what Hulk Hogan's about. Um, 
And, they, you know, I don't know what the idea of the finish was because we talk about... It wasn't even a big moment. As we saw two months ago, the big boot leg drop combination is not a match winner anymore. Ronnie Piper got hit with two and still kicked out, and nobody was shocked. That was October. That was two months ago. And then Hogan, you know, drops the leg. Patrick goes down. And again, what did Vader say to Bret Hart? If you get pinned, kicked out at one. You don't get put in a submission hold. If you get pinned, kicked out at one. And I've never been a wrestler. I don't know how much time you got re- to react to the cadence of a pin. But maybe at two, when, when Sting worked out, the two was a lot slower than it should have been. He should have just got that fucking shoulder up. Um... But that blew the that blew the match. Like you know, the whole if if they'd have gone for a clean finish after Hogan dominated most of the match, it would have been a talking point that everyone would have forgotten about it. Um, the big problem here was that false finish because it completely killed it dead. Brett's Brett's actions after that made no sense, and Hogan. You know, again, you know the the, the mechanics, the why's, the what falls. We may never know. We may find out very quickly. Uh, for you know, Hogan won the match. After that point, whatever happens is Hogan being wronged. Um, and maybe that'll be a storyline point very quickly. Maybe it won't, but there'll always be that undercurrent of, yeah, but I won the match, right? After that, they were fine. Roy, you're right. After that, they were fine. But after that, really didn't matter. Like, them getting it right at the end is irrelevant. Um, but, Jeff, let's come, let's isolate the, 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 the fuck finish. Um, do, do we. Do we do we believe that Nick Patrick went, oh, I just was a bit slow, or do we think Hogan kind of got in his ear at some point and said, this is what we said we're going to do, this is what we're actually going to do? Yeah, I think he got brothered up here. Um, you know, this, is, this isn't one of those 25-minute all-Japan finishes where the referee has got to be in 17 different places every minute to avoid getting lariated by Stan Hansen and then Kobashi and Nusawa are doing their, their just immaculate, you know, move for move for move type things. This was counting to three. Um, I'm pretty sure Nick Patrick can do that. I'm pretty sure I've seen Nick Patrick do that on a few occasions. I have always heard these Hogan master manipulator stories. I was at WrestleMania 6. People always talk about the death knell for Ultimate Warrior's title reign was the moment after the match when Hogan came in to steal the spotlight and hand him the title and raise his hand. Because that made people not think about Warrior, but who? Hogan. Did Hogan kick out of three in that match? Because I imagine that. Uh, I think they did. They kicked out of each other's finishes, and then Warrior pinned him. Maybe he kicked out a little like after it. But I, well, I don't, yeah. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 right. Hogan kicks out three point zero one of the final yeah. flash to win the match. Yeah. I said it wasn't a controversial finish, but like Hogan still had to kick out just afterwards. I, I'm sorry that admittedly should happen a lot more often in wrestling. Although I understand why it doesn't because it's a bit confusing. But Hogan also the other part of the lineup was well, you won the match clearly. But only just. Like, uh, there's still a bit of that going on. Sorry, Jeff, carry on. Oh, no, I, I, I think if you if you look at Hogan's track record, the way he screwed Brett in 93 and, and wouldn't do the favors on the way out and how he was always so picky about doing business with any baby faces. I mean, he refused to work Jake Roberts because Jake Roberts was getting over with the DDT and they, there's that famous snake pit that they shot. Jake DDT's 
Hogan, they chant Jake, and Hogan kills that because he he doesn't like being second fiddle to anybody. And here's Sting, who for the last decade has been, you know, the younger, stronger, faster franchise babyface. And wouldn't you know, you know, when it's all said and done, Hogan looks like the wronged babyface party. Um, it was ju- I, I wouldn't believe for a second anything except Hogan sidled up to Nick Patrick and said, I have more stroke than anybody else in this company. Do exactly what I say. And an, an addendum to something that was said earlier about Sting being aware to get his shoulder up on two when the three count's coming down and he knows, you know. Uh, this is Sting, okay? This isn't Bret Hart. This isn't Shawn Michaels. This isn't The Undertaker. I've always heard stories about Ric Flair making Sting and Barry Windham making Sting look good in these matches and, and telling him, it's time to howl, Sting. Do your do your howl. Okay, it's, it's time to pound your chest, Sting. Pound your chest and let's do the splash. They almost have to make him be Sting and be carried. And Hogan isn't going to shine up his baby face to make him look good. It's almost that Japanese logic of you got to take it because they're not going to give it. And Sting didn't take his part of the match. And it's not like Vince McMahon's backstage like he was with Warrior making sure Warrior got his part of WrestleMania six. No, it's Eric and Eric and Hogan are best buddies and they give each other motorcycles and you know, it's, it's all lovey dovey. So what happens no, the shrewd political leech virus parasite balding steroid freak wannabe bad actor Hulk Hogan did what he always does, and that's look out for Hulk Hogan. That's why there's not a union in wrestling, guys. It's because Hulk Hogan looks out for number one. And when it was time to do what was best for WCW on the biggest night of their company's history – he made sure who was taken care of. And it made Brett look like an idiot because that's the direction. I can understand the screw job finish. I can understand it if they're leading to Starcade 98. They're going to build a 12-month, his last one was Sting, was 18, 12-month, finally, Brett versus Hogan. But they immediately undermined Brett and made him look like a total doofus. They made Sting look like a weak link. They made... J.J. Dillon looked like a moron. It's just, it was the mo- it was the personification of Hogan's career. If you wanted to time capsule Hulk Hogan, the politician and the scumbag that he is, I'm a Bret Hart fan, so I just, I have some, some unresolved 1993 issues uh, about that WrestleMania 9 finish. But uh, <laughs> I, I just, I think we can show this match to, to wrestling schools for, for centuries to come and say, this is how you do not book your finish to wrestling and uh, Hulk Hogan is uh, for all the good that he did in the 80s he's a blight on this current WCW product Roy he bloody is and all but he's the one we're talking about just like at Wrestlemania 6 and everybody watched Hogan leave without the belt they weren't talking about the champion here we're talking about whether he politicked to get Nick Patrick to not do a fast count whether he'll be inserted into a feud with Brett, whether he'll get the title back. We're forgetting that this guy, Sting, let's face it, a brand new character, a brand new outlook, brand new everything, is now the world champion, and we are all talking about Hogan. He is one clever, clever cope, even though he is an utter fucking twat. I mean, for God's sake, man, who cares if you lose a match on a fast count, or, sorry, if you have to have a fast count in the match? You know, so what? You're Hulk Hogan. 
You know, you've got Eric Bishop in your back pocket. He gives you cars. He gives you your own Nitro girls. You know, you're going to get a rematch on pay-per-view. Now, look at your contract. The zeros and that would make anybody's eyes itch. You don't need any more. You don't need to go over on this one. You are literally here doing the job. This is Sting's moment. It's not yours. You are just there to hand the belt over to him. Do what you are being very handsomely paid for. Don't make this all about you. And then I realise I'm just pissing in the wind because we're talking about Hulk fucking Hogan. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just... Uh, it, yeah. It, it's kind of like last month, isn't it? It's like, you know, you know what you're working with and that's not to excuse Hogan to to, to, to the extent like I perhaps used... Uh, excused... Uh, Michael's last month, but it just, you know, this is Hogan, this is the, 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 the nemesis you work against, um, and Jeff, kind of as you say, um, it does, you know, it does kind of just bear out here that Sting is the kind of guy that, you, you know, we talk about Bret Hart caring too much last month, I don't want to keep drawing back to that, Sting is the kind of guy that I sense doesn't care that much. Like, you know, Sting is just a guy that will turn up, wrestle, oh, I happen to be in the main event, great. Um, but, you know, if Hogan wants to go and business with himself, eh, who cares? Um, you know, there's, there, there's yeah, I think, that I think, there's, I think there's a lot in that, because let's face it, Sting is, Sting's a bodybuilder, isn't he, really? Let's be honest about this. Well, well, well not on the basis really. of last night, or on the basis of view. I did like, I think it was, I think it was Wade Keller who said he looked more like a, more like a gym instructor than a wrestler. What the fuck was he wearing? Those cut-off arms and my god, the incredible shrinking man. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I don't think he. I don't think he lives the wrestling business. He's certainly not Diamond Dallas Page in that respect, which is interesting when you think about it. Jeff, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten? Um, I thought it was next to Beware of Dog, where the power went out. <laughs> the greatest disaster and the ones that were like the fake UWFs where the guy who ended up running it was it was just a total chaos uh, this was the single worst pay-per-view from a importance to the business standpoint I've maybe ever seen uh, 0 out of 10 0? 0 there is n- the matches, there was nothing standout enough for me to like it. The coolest part of the main event was Brett's ability to slide down to count or to 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 watch Hogan not tap out. His coolest was the best part of that match. No, they somehow managed. I said at the beginning, this felt kind of like a Super Bowl, like a big fight, like a WrestleMania, and they managed to botch everything about it. Zero out of ten. Trash. Stupidity. Um, luckily they have five hours of programming or whatever every week to fill to fix it, but I could not have been more dissatisfied with the pay-per-view in professional wrestling history. Rory, follow that. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> they, they completely and utterly balls this nine million ways from Sunday in an event which was right there in their hands. This could have been, and it should have been, the beginning of the end for this particular war that's going on between um, the two big companies. This was their chance. 
and for whatever reason they chose chose not to take it as I've said going through this show there was actually some decent wrestling on here and there were a couple of good moments including one eventual feel good moment at the end as tarnished as it was but that almost doesn't matter based on what we did see from start to finish I always try to look at these events from A in a vacuum based on work rate, match quality and what they actually mean for the promotion and the company and the status of professional wrestling. So, in that respect, I'm going to give this one a three and a half. But I am actually with Jeff. Here, three and a half might as well have been a zero because this should have been an eight, nine, super ten. And they just fucked it. Yeah, um, it's hard to disagree with a, a zero out of ten in a lot of respects. Um, you know, they had one job on this show. Just do it, and then you're fine. Um, and they didn't. They didn't get that bit right. Um, I don't think it's a zero out of ten, but it, it's a pretty poor show. And let's be honest. Um, you know, this is a, a show almost as noteworthy for the guys that weren't on it: Kevin Nash, Rey Mysterio, Ultimate Dragon. Uh, other guys like Ric Flair, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Roddy Piper, you know, Bret Hart, you want to you want to keep going down the list if you want to do that. Scott Hall, giant to a point, and either of them wrestled. Um, this, for, for, a, for a car that was, in theory, WCW's biggest effort, is actually lacking a lot of their stars. Now, in theory, that should not have mattered. Um, and in theory, you know... If they'd have got the Hogan Sting stuff right, I suspect our viewpoint on this show would have been significantly higher. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, on a one-match show, maybe one and a, half, maybe one and a bit, if you want to call the the, uh, the Bischoff and Zabisco one a bit, um, they got it wrong. Uh, I'll give this a two out of ten. We closed Night Drive for 1997 in Party Mood in Baltimore, Maryland. Balloons fall from the ceiling as the Nitro girls do their stuff and then Larry emerges to a hero's welcome. Tony calls Starcade the biggest night in the history of this great organisation and says the NWO is for losers. Earring action begins with Glacier and Goldberg. Bill melts the Iceman with the spear and the jackhammer. Starting to get pretty over with that. Gene invites us to crank it up for Bret Hart. Tony actually calls him a former world heavyweight champion. Bret says a lot of people had doubts about had doubts about his allegiances but he has always thought that actions speak louder than words yesterday justice prevailed as far as the NWO goes they're reminded of the scum he just left behind he wants to test his skills against the best that WCW has to offer but the one guy is going to get going to pay the biggest price of all is Hulk Hogan it's time for you to face the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be Raven takes the mic he calls Benoit a masochist He's want, if he wants punishment every week, Raven insists that the flock will inflict it. This leads to a rematch between Benoit and Hammer. When the crossface goes on, the flock come in. Mongo comes down the clean house and the former horseman destroys Saturn as Raven looks on. Flair is out to do Flair stuff on the microphone. After briefly congratulating Sting, he turns his attention to the hitman. He pulls out a cutting from the Baltimore Sun, which quotes Dave Meltzer, mentioned by name, calling a certain someone the greatest of all time. Eddie jumps Dragon from behind before their match, but after barely a minute of the actual contest, Dragon hooks in the sleeper and wins the Cruiserweight title, because things don't make sense. Bischoff and Hogan are out to brood, Hogan doesn't remember losing yesterday, and he is the only heavyweight champion of the world. 
Bobby pops in for commentary and says he only joined the NWO last week and sacrificed himself for the sake of WCW. Tony and Mike seem less than convinced. DDP defends his newly won US title against Mortis. The masked man steals Paige's taunt but do- doesn't steal his belt as Paige wins cleans with the cutter in a fun little match. Gene is here to get Dylan's take on last night's events. A decision was rendered and we have a new champion and that is going to stand. But in order to put any lingering controversy to bed, Sting has authorised Dylan to say he will put the title on the line tonight, be against Hogan or any NWO member. Bischoff, it's time to put up or shut up. Booker T defeats Disco Inferno for the TV title with the Harlem Hangover. They really are racking up the title changes this month. Dylan is back to tell us that nobody's responded to Sting, but out comes Bischoff. Hollywood Hogan will step in the ring tonight and Fathead don't screw it up this time. Sting vs Hogan for the world title is happening again. Chris Jericho is out to give the old college try against Kurt Henning, but he fails to foul. He falls foul to the Henningplex, Fisherman's Suplex, or whatever else you want to call it, that you won't get sued. Jericho flips out afterwards and shouts, "I'm sick of this. I've had enough." After another Scott Hall survey, about 50-50 tonight, it's Luger vs Buff for the billionth time as Lex finally gets the win with the rack. Our main event is indeed the rematch of the century. Conveniently enough, Michael Buffer is here despite the match supposedly only being made 50 minutes ago. Just like yesterday, Hogan gets Sting absolutely nothing in the early going. Sting gets in some actual shine this time and he hits a Stinger splash which knocks out the referee. Tony then says, we're out of time, we've got to go folks, and that's it, we just fade the black. WCW, ladies and gents. And we'll finish at the end of the month with one final discussion point. We are back on the television trail here for the very end of the show. So we come back on Nitro on the final Nitro of the month. Um, and, you know, JJ Dillon says, you know, regardless of what happens, the results stood. And, you know, the announcers are still trying to call like Sting got, you know, Hogan, uh, Sting got screwed by Hogan or he almost did, even though it's clear he didn't. And, and all of that, we talk about continuity and things not going the way they, uh, they should have done. Um, and the, But they say... Steve will defend his title against any member of the NWO. At the main event, that's fine. Uh, and then at Roy, this was a three-hour show, wasn't it? I know you suffered through it. Uh, amazingly, this was only a two-hour show. Only it two. Felt like only two. It, felt, it felt like 23, but no, this was a two-hour show. And on a WCW programming um, move, that uh, basically, if we got two hours and we can overrun, we will overrun. They booked Sting versus Hogan with about five minutes to go in the second hour. You're like, okay, fine. Um, and they wrestle the match. It was probably better than their match the night before, a bit more coherent. Uh, we get a ref bump, and then they just go, we've run out of time. And you're like, what? And, and then you check the schedule, and you're like, next on, WCW Nitro. It's just the rerun from two hours before. Like, they cut themselves off for no reason at all. Obviously, you know, even, even if there was a, a major program on at, at 10 o'clock, they absolutely easily could have just, um, you know, just started the main event earlier. Um, and basically, they got off the air without a definitive champion. I believe Sting is still the champion. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens with that, what they'll do next week. Um, but Rory just, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about a fuck finish the night before. No finish, almost as bad. Yes, especially as what I have been able to read in the few days after this Nitro, and since we've gone up on recording here. It looks like this was some attempt to try to repair some of the self-inflicted damage that they caused at Starcade, but amazingly from that incredibly low bar they've gone and made things worse to the point where we don't even know where Sting, Sting the man who's been after this belt for 18 months 
the, the flag bearer for WCW, we don't even know if he is still the world champion after one day. I mean, what is that all about? I will say, Bob, yes, the match was actually better than the Starcade match, primarily because Sting was allowed to actually do something in this one. Uh, he's a generous guy, that Hogan. Uh, yes, um, I don't have a problem with the way they set this up, with J.J. Dillon saying at the, oh yes, the top of the second hour, that Sting can, or should defend the world title against any NWO member. Again, Hogan wouldn't allow this, but why not have him Sting go against a, I don't know, Hennig maybe, somewhere like that? Five or six, just give Sting a, a decisive victory. You can even do a repeat of the um, of a celebration finish and you go off your, your final Nitro of the year that way, saying, yes, this is the guy, this is our big baby face for 1998. Instead, though, we get a Sting-Hogan match again and the last thing we see on Nitro in 1997 is Randy Anderson doing his best to Watusi as he falls over in the ring. World Championship Wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff? Yeah, I have a general rule about uh, if I pay a pay-per-view price the night before and they give you that match for free, uh, why, as the paying customer, am I rewarded for actually shelling out the money for the big match? I always feel ripped off. I always feel insulted as a, a paying customer when they do that, even though they wanted to make good on the on the absolute inability to count to three at a regular or fast pace uh, by Nick Patrick. That's that's the first thing. It rubs me the wrong way because uh, it's like, why did I like I saved up my money and my friends all got together. We watched this and oh look, it's free the next night. So that's the first thing. Second thing um, on TSN. So I taped WCW Nitro to watch the follow up, and I thought that my VCR didn't work. I thought something had broken that it just went off the air. Like I was like. Oh, it's it's you know sports desk. It's the it's the you know the 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 results for all the Leafs games and all these things. And I'm like, oh, this is I'm mad. I, like I, I'm actually I'm actually thinking like, oh my you know my tape screwed up. No, WCW screwed up. So that's a second kind of bad taste in your mouth to kick off the new year. Um, I really actually thought the intro to this match was how they should have started last night's match uh, or the the. the the Starcade match where they just immediately get in. Like he doesn't even let Sting get into the ring and they're throwing hands. Um, I liked that. I thought the match was better because Hogan was more giving as, as Rory mentioned, but uh, just, uh, just WCW man, as Rory said, there's no, like that's the punchline. And I don't think when you're going up against the most successful wrestling promoter in modern history, you want to be a punchline because that sounds like a recipe for a uh, disaster. Yeah, it, it, it's weird IQ. It's you know, like it's almost like WCW feel like they've always got to have a hook. They can never pay anything off. Like it's like the, you know the the, the 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 person that reads through one book and can't wait to get to the end of the book so they can start reading another one and kind of forgets to enjoy the book they're doing. Like you know the you know the. Every, when nothing ever ends, you're just on this constant cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. At some point, you've got to pay it off, because otherwise it's like, it's not a cliffhanger if it never gets paid off, eventually. 
Like, you know, if, if you keep not delivering on, on important moments, the next time you say, well, here's an important moment, too, and next thing you go, like, well, you're not going to deliver on it anyway. doesn't matter. Like, in theory, that should happen with the main events a long time ago as it is. You know, they, keep deli- they keep promising these big main event matches, and they deliver them. There's a screw-up finish. You know, it's like, at some point, people will catch on to that. Maybe it won't be this month, maybe it won't be next month, maybe it won't be next year. At some point, if you keep continuing down that path, people will eventually work it out. Um, the rematch on Nitro was better. Um, they shouldn't have done it. I mean, you know, I know they wanted a, a big thing to go up, but, you know, it's it's it was the... Yeah, they could have done anything. They could have matched up Sting and Scott Hall if you wanted to do that. I and mean, I suppose in theory that's their their uh, their pay per view match in uh, in February. But you could have done anything else. Just advertising this match again as a second one was a mistake. Even that, you know, they were going to draw a big rating regardless. You know, it's it's Christmas. Like it's not like Raw's going to be this this mega show, or it's right near a new year, I suppose. It's like Raw's going to be this mega big show. Um. It was a mistake, you know, again, it's this attitude of we need to build something for tomorrow. It's like, well, at some point you've got to think about today. Um, And, yeah, a weird way to end the month. Um, More to come from it, I'm sure, but it's just uh, an odd set of decisions. And uh, that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. We've been taking for... Yeah, about three hours. I shouldn't be surprised. It's me, Jeff and Rory. Uh, Jeff Parker, thank you very much for sparing uh, an afternoon for us between Christmas and New Year to uh, to go through this show. Always a pleasure. Pleasure. I really enjoyed it, you and uh, Rory. Yes, uh, Rory, thank you very much for slow. Well, I'm Jeff as well for slogging through all that TV. <laughs> I, I, I say for certain that I didn't. I didn't go through all of it this month. Uh, but Rory, thank you very much for joining us on uh, on WCW this month. You'd better thank me. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, Roy, wh- where can we find you on Twitter? I am on Twitter under the handle RawsDM. That is R-O-R-S-D-M. Excellent. And right, there are five other volumes for you this month. Volume number two takes the WWF looking at In Your House DX. Volume number three to ECW. Volume four to USC. Volume five to the end of year reviews. And volume number six to our end of year awards. You can find us on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you or get early access to our shows, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. Um, website wrestling20yrs.com. End of year stuff will be going up. I've got to write a lot of it, but it should be going up uh, as by the time you listen to this. This is not as you are. Um, and that'll do that. So until next time, I've been Bob Bamber. This has been the volume number one of the December 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>